where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, St. Louis. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Randy Carriker is on vacation today. I'm Michelle Smallman. But we have Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider at The Athletic, who's going to hang out with us all morning. Good morning, JR. Good morning, Michelle. Happy belated Halloween. I didn't see you yesterday. Hope you had some fun. <laughs> I did. Uh, and by fun, I mean have, having trick-or-treaters come by. That was the <laughs> amount of my fun. What was your Halloween like, JR? Yeah, I had a good one with the kids. It's always good. I remember years uh, being on that Blues beat. Uh, sometimes you're on the road and you'd miss it. And so just to be home and to be able to walk the subdivision uh, with them. My daughter was a prisoner. I hope that's not a sign of things to come in the future. And uh, I don't know what my son was. You know, some of those little boys, they just want the scariest mask you can find. Yeah. Well, he found it and uh, he was happy. So that's all that matters. Now, here's an important question. Yep. You're walking the neighborhood. You're, you're doing a, a party, a neighborhood party, but I'm sure that you had treats at your house. Are you a full-size candy family or are you a mini-size candy family? Yeah, so we actually spent uh, the night over at a friend's house, and I did look at their candy as I was dropping it into my pocket every time I walked <laughs> by the bowl. Uh, I think they went the, the small, the regular size. Uh, but, yeah, I know what you're saying, and I'm all over. Growing up, being mm-hmm. a big guy like myself, I was all over. I knew the addresses of the... Uh, the places that have the big candy bars. The worst is when you go by and it's it's a little bag of trial mix or something. <laughs> or a toothbrush. Yeah. One one year my parents got into a little bit of an argument because my dad wanted to give out beef jerky, individually wrapped <laughs> beef beef jerky. My mom was like, what are you talking about? No kid wants beef jerky. My dad's like, alright, science experiment. We're going to have two bowls and we're going to let the kids choose. Ran out of beef jerky. Oh my goodness. Because if you're going house to house, you've seen Skittles, you've seen M&M's, you've seen the Twix. Why not mix it up and yeah. get a little beef jerky. <laughs> you know what I did do, though, Michelle? Uh, so I was a fireman. It was uh, kind of a joke I played on my friend, who's a captain of the fire department. Totally respect everything they do, but I was kind of taking a dig at him with my costume last night. Uh, but I wandered through the subdivision, and I know some other people that live in the subdivision. Well, they didn't know I was dressed up as a fireman. They couldn't tell who it was. <laughs> so I walked up to their house, and they're just kind of standing in the driveway, and I grabbed their entire bowl and just walked away, and they start yelling, hey, hey! <laughs> and then I turn around and take the, take the mask off, the helmet off, and they see who it is. So. They're like, oh, JR, we yeah. should have known. Yeah, we should have known. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jeremy Rutherford. He's going to be with us. Coming up at 730, we are going to do a little AMA or an AJA, I guess you could say. Ask Jeremy anything. So if you have any burning blues questions, the blues off to a great start. We're going to touch on that in a second. If you have any blues questions for JR, be sure to get him in. 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. He's going to answer them for you coming up later in the show. But... 
Last night, a lot of people trick-or-treating. They may have missed the World Series, JR, Game 5, and what a game it was. Truist Park in Atlanta was absolutely packed with fans. It was standing room only. The Braves up 3-1 in that series, and fans in Atlanta thinking they're going to get the opportunity to see their team, to see the Braves clinch their first title since 1995. And let me tell you, that place exploded in the first inning when Adam Duvall came to the plate. Robert Valdez ready at the first pitch to Duvall. A swing and a fly ball high in the air. Deep right field. Bradley back. Gone! An opposite field grand slam for Adam Duvall as the Braves dug out empties. And he's being met by teammate after teammate after teammate on his way back to the dugout. And Atlanta is rolling early up four to nothing. Grand slam, Adam Duvall in the first inning. And if you're a Braves fan, you're feeling pretty good. The Braves became the first team to score four runs in a potential World Series clincher since the 1961 Yankees. Teams are 45-3 and all time when holding a lead of four more runs at any point in a potential clincher. That's according to ESPN Stats and Info. But that was not the case, JR, because the Astros actually battled back and ended up beating the Braves 9-5. to They push it to a game six. And Tim Kirkchen talked last night about how impressed he is with the fact that the Astros were able to rally back and take that game. That is one resilient team, and we've seen it all year. This was the third time in this postseason that I'm thinking, boy, the Astros are in big trouble, and they might not get out of this one, and yet they do. So teams that have hit grand slams in the World Series are now 18-3. and three. Today was the third loss. And as you said, Scott, this is the first time since 2002 that a team facing elimination was down four runs in a game and came back to win. And Dusty Baker, being the manager of the Giants that year, just a beautiful coincidence. Coming into tonight, the Astros had four hits in this World Series with runners in scoring position, but they got five tonight at the most important times. And Martin Malinato, who had two RBIs in the postseason, drove in three runs in this game. And Marwin Gonzalez, who hit 199 this season between the Red Sox and the Astros, he got the big hit. This is why we love baseball so much, Scott, is that the star players don't always decide every game. So the Astros heading back to Houston for game six, still down three to two. But you have to feel pretty good if you're Houston after rallying back to stave off elimination and and head back to Texas. Yeah, there's really no emotional investment for me anyway. I don't know about for you in this, but it reminds me of some of those Cardinal games, playoff games that we watched over the years, where when the Cardinals go up early in the game, it kind of makes you even more nervous. Like, oh, man, are they going (laughs) to do something to to blow this? And so the Braves get that big hit. You can hear that stadium just erupt and you think you're on your way to that first World Series since 95. Uh, but as Dusty Baker said uh, yesterday also, he said, look, this group's been together for a long time. They're resilient. Kirchin said it said it right there as this group has shown it time and time again. They do, and now they take the momentum back to Houston. I just want them to lose so badly. Yeah. You, you have to give them a little bit of credit for not only being in this position, but it's like not, nothing has gotten to them. This is a very mentally tough team, whether it's the booze that they've endured in every ballpark that they've gone to this season as they go on their cheating tour because they didn't really get that in 2020 or the fact that they can bounce back no matter what situation they're in. It's a mentally tough team, but I don't have a dog in the fight, but I really would like to see the Astros not be rewarded a year and change after a massive cheating scandal. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's too soon. It really is. And, and I'm with everybody who thinks that way. But I, I will tell you this. I will admit this. No invo- emotional investment, like I said. But when I saw a story the other day on Dusty Baker and what he's put into the game and how many wins he has, most wins without a World Series title, I don't know, Michelle, part of me, I don't know. What do you think? To see Dusty Baker win? No? I would love to see Dusty win. Yeah. That would be, as a manager, I would love to see him could, win. Could he win and not the Astros? <laughs> <laughs> the, that would be the only redeeming storyline for me if the Astros do win, is that Dusty finally gets a chip as a manager. But gosh, to see some of those guys who were so defiant and so arrogant about what happened and the Stein, the, the trash cans and, and all of that stuff, to see them win in such short order would be a real bummer, I think, for a lot of baseball fans. Yeah, you just helped me make my my mind up. He's going to have to go to a different team next year, Dusty, and win it with somebody else. Well, let's turn to the Blues, JR, who uh, had a win over the weekend. They beat the Blackhawks 1-0 on a Tory Crew goal. Jordan Bennington made 25 saves. This moves the Blues to a great start this season. They bounce back from that win last week versus the Avalanche, and the Blues now sit 6-1-0, and first in the Central Division so far this season. Yeah, you never would have predicted a 0-0 score against the 0-6-2 Blackhawks heading into the third period, but that's what it was, and they do get the power play goal from Tory Krug and really he wasn't trying to shoot it. I think he was trying to get it in front of the net. Robert Thomas was there and it goes in uh, against uh, Marc-Andre Fleury who played a really good game. Uh, look, Braden Shen went hard into the boards. They got the tripping call there. That led to the power play that gets the game-winning goal. Uh, the Blues, to me, Michelle, didn't play crisp. They didn't play like we saw the first five games of the season. Uh, I think it's been a little sloppy the past couple of games, but nonetheless they get the win. I think that's what I'm impressed by with this team is that it hasn't looked great all of the time, but they're still finding ways to pull out those victories. Yeah, and that's what it's been. It, you know, the schedule is what it is. Chicago comes to town. They're scuffling, and, and I think that Craig Bruby and his coaching staff, they've had the right approach. You, you know, you'd think in professional sports you don't have to say this, but I think you do, and and so it's good on Bruby to do this. But, hey, look, don't take these guys lightly. Later on, we'll hear from uh, David Perron about that. It's a situation where uh, Chicago, you're glad to see him finally again. You haven't mm-hmm. seen him in, in terms of regular season games the past couple of years, uh, but they're just not good right now. And the Blues went out there and uh, didn't play well, but like you said, come out with the win. As you mentioned, Jordan Bennington with 25 saves on the night. He was asked after the game how he feels about where his Blues team is right now. We're in a good spot. Uh, I think we we have to recognize that it's a very tough division, tough league this year, and it's going to be a war, and I think every game is important. And, and, and uh, you know, it's a good start, like you said, but we got to keep working and keep building and keep having fun, and um, that just makes it more enjoyable. And and uh, a fun season, yeah. And every game is always important for the goalie, for Jordan Bennington, but even more so now, JR, after the Blues have announced that Billy Huso, their backup goalie, was placed on the COVID list. Yeah, this is big news, I think, for the Blues. You've already had two COVID cases, one with Brandon Saad. He's back skating, by the way, could join the team Wednesday in L.A. Then you have your captain out, Ryan O'Reilly, and that's a massive uh, situation with him being out of the lineup. But this one's big because Billy Huso is the backup goaltender, and the Blues don't have a lot of depth at that position. They've recalled uh, Joel Hofer. He's the draft pick for from a few years ago. Off to a good start with the American Hockey League team in Springfield, Mass. uh, 3-0-1, playing well. Just no NHL experience. And the Blues have back-to-back games coming up this week, Wednesday and Thursday, L.A. and I believe San Jose. Uh, So they may, if they don't ride Bennington back-to-back games, have to turn to Hofer there. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, if you're going to pick a position where you don't want to see those COVID cases, it's definitely the net. That's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Michelle Smallman. It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We're going to play a little game of start one, bench one, cut one. That's next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> segment we are going to do a little aja ask jeremy anything so if you have burning blues questions or questions about life or personal questions about jeremy right. get him into the air comfort service text line 65780 i want to hear the answer but. <laughs> but we have an expert a blues expert in house so if you have burning blues questions get them in and jr is going to answer them coming up next segment but right now it's time for start one bench one cut one jr in honor of halloween and this is a very important distinction we're talking mini size here, the fun size bars, small amounts, Twix, Snickers, or Skittles. Start one, bat one, cut, bench one, cut one. Okay, I'm going to start Twix. Love the love the Twix. Uh, I am going to bench the Snickers, but I'm going to call the Snickers off the bench a lot <laughs> and use them a lot. And the Skittles got to go. I, I, I like Skittles, but my kids, they have them all the time and they're just all over the place and they're obnoxious. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and cut them. So I am going to start the Skittles. I'm going to bench the Twix and I'm going to cut the Snickers. The only reason I would bench the Twix and not start it is because I find that the mini Twixes are not satisfying. Oh, really? Yeah, the full size, much better option. Yeah, I didn't know they made a mini. So. They, they make the mini, and you're left wanting much more. Oh, see? You know, I think a little bag of Skittles, it satisfies your sweet tooth. You're done. You're good. But whenever I eat the mini Twix, I want like 16 of them. All right, JR, what do you have? Well, Michelle, uh, let's go to the text line here. I want to ask you one. Um, start one, bench one, or cut one. We're going to go with commissioners here. It's uh, okay. Manfred, Bettman, or Goodell. Manfred, Bettman, or Goodell. Wow. That is a tough choice. Well, let's just start here. I'm cutting Roger Goodell. <laughs> Roger, automatic, right? Roger Goodell is cut. And you know what? I'm going to start Gary Bettman because even though people don't love him, he's done a lot for the Blues and for St. Louis. They've done a lot getting all-star games here, winter classics. So I'm going to start Gary Bettman. I'm going to cut Rob Manfred because I can't stand how baseball just can't read the room and they constantly get in their own way with the infighting. Hopefully that CBA isn't that way this year, but I fully anticipate that it will be. And I'm cutting Roger Goodell. All right. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to start Gary Bettman for a similar reason. You know, he saw the need in St. Louis for that winter classic. And he said, look at the relationship between the Blues and the Cardinals. I really like it. I think that game would be great at uh, Bush Stadium. And the Blues did a phenomenal job organizing that and putting it together. And as much hatred as there is for Gary Bettman, believe me, I've heard all the boos. Every time I go to draft, you hear the booing for Gary Bettman. I'll go start him. Let's go ahead and bench Manfred just some, you know, crazy decisions and you know things along the way in terms of how Major League Baseball has carried itself under him since he took over and you have to cut Goodell how could you even play this game and have him anywhere else but getting cut if you take emotion and you take optics out of it you actually should start Roger Goodell because of the behemoth that is the NFL and the way that he's been able to make so much money for the owners and what's his job his job is to protect the owners and to make money 
money for the game. So when you actually think about the parameters of his job, he's done a great job. Now, when it comes to the way that that money is made and why there are the circumstances surrounded protecting owners, yeah, it's been very shady. And I wouldn't say that he's a good person, but I would say based on what his job requires him to do, he's been a pretty good commissioner. Yeah, and when I make this comment, I'm, you know, maybe 30-40% of it is the St. Louis situation, mm-hmm. but I mean, look at everything else in terms of, what, the Ray Rice situation. Look at, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter. Spygate. We burned the tapes. Spygate. <laughs> and, and it goes on and on. And oh, by the way, uh, I saw that he makes like $120 million a year, so we'll go ahead and cut him. Yeah, I think he'll be okay if he gets cut, right? <laughs> All right, let's head to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Emily, what do you have for us? From the 618, start one, bench one, cut one, twist, chase, reaps. Ooh. Wow, that's a tough one there. Uh, you got to start Tony Twist. He's the best of all time, and I uh, hope Kelly Chase isn't listening to that. One time, I, did I tell you about the time I got punched by Kelly Chase? No, what? Yeah, it's almost like a um, bucket list type item. You yeah. live to tell the tale? Yeah, so we were out and about. I think it was in Philly, and uh, it was late at night after the bar, and we're all going up the elevator. And so if you can picture this, Kelly Chase is facing the elevator doors where they're going to open. I'm behind him, so he okay. can't see me. I give him a shove. He goes into the doors. They're still closed. But when they open and he gets to his floor, he turns around and he just pops me right in the head. So I wake up uh, the next day and I walk into the, the mirror, the bathroom area, and uh, look at my head, little notch in the forehead there. Do you know it was you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he probably took a lot of joy out of being able to pop me one there. And uh, I think he told uh, Mike Matheny, he goes, hey, I just popped our uh, beat writer. He texted Matheny, who was a manager at the yeah, time. Yeah. Mike said, I wish I could do the same to our beat oh my writer. <laughs> um, how badly did that hurt the next day? Yeah, he should have got five uh, for fighting there, but, uh, but he didn't. But uh, yeah, I had a little little uh, mark to tell everybody to get popped by an NHL enforcer but uh, but I will have to bench Kelly Chase uh, it didn't hurt that much so I don't think he's that strong so I'm just going to go ahead and, and put him on the bench and I'm going to cut Revo for his popular a guy and strong as a guy and talented so on and so forth uh, no comparison to Twist and Chase yeah I'm going to do the same we love Revo we love Ryan Reeves but we got to cut him and then gosh that's a tough decision between between Tony Twist and Kelly Chase but I think I'm going to start Tony Twist and cut Kelly Chase, even though I'm afraid to cut Kelly Chase. <laughs> but I have to tell you, Jay, the fact that you sustained a punch from him. How about that? You got some street cred. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's pretty good. You should put that in your Twitter bio. <laughs> Blues, Blues Insider at The Athletic once took a punch from Kelly Chase. From the 636, start one bench, one cut one. Beer, wine, seltzers. Ooh. Well. You got that, Michelle? I do. I'm going to start wine. I like I prefer wine. I'm gonna cut beer and or excuse me, bench beer and cut seltzer. It's not a huge seltzer fan. Yeah, uh, this is a tough one. How about you know, I would normally say let's start the beer. I gotta stop drinking the beer. <laughs> it's like it seems like every Monday rolls around. It's like uh, you know Groundhog Day here, in terms of having a long weekend with a few beers. So uh, I can't go against my friend though. So we'll start the beer. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, bench the wine. I love wine. You know, it, it's awesome to mix it up every once in a mm-hmm. while. Maybe go a whole weekend without drinking beer and just a couple glasses of wine. You know, it was fun to have uh, some wine with uh, Bernie Federico. You're on the road. You're in Napa. Maybe the Blues play San Jose, and you take a little road trip and uh, he knows his wine tells you what to get always tastes good uh, so uh, 
wine, I'll bench, and seltzer. You know what? The seltzer's not bad to mix things up every once in a while, but you can't have three or four or 12 of them, right? Right. You know, like one or two, okay, but yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and cut this off. I think a lot of people listening would argue you could have 12 of them. Really? I mean, you Yeah, can, you know, there's no but... law when you're drinking claw. A lot of people love to <laughs> slam the white claws. You can, and I have before, but I don't know. Too sweet. Same. From the 217, start one, bench one, cut one. Huso, Allen, Halak. Ooh, little blues backup goalie situation. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and start Jake Allen for the simple reason that he let me uh, sit on the back of his fire truck <laughs> for the, the parade. I've told you that story. Yeah, so, that was a great story. Yeah, so Jake Allen, uh, he's he's got all the cred in my book, uh, so he's going to start. And then I'm going to go ahead and uh, bench Billy Huso, even though he's got the COVID right now. We'll keep him on the team and just bench him for now until he okay. gets back from the COVID. And I am going to cut Yaroslav Halak. Look, you know, when you're around a locker room for 15 or 16 years, it's not that you dislike guys. I just never really understood Halak, you know, and, and uh, I do remember one time the Post-Dispatch wanted to take a, a picture of Halak for our hockey preview, and he had just come from Montreal. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals. He was a huge deal in Montreal. When he got traded, he had an autograph signing before he came to St. Louis in Montreal. 5,000 people in line. Wow. So fast forward to the Post-Dispatch wants to take him down to the arch grounds and put him in front of the arch, make it look like he's playing goal in front of the arch. It's a great idea. And he gets out of this SUV that we rode down to the arch in, and he looked left, looked right, just anticipated he was going to get mobbed, and nobody recognized him. Nobody Ooh. came after him, anything. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, and cut Halak. Just a guy who you know played okay for the Blues, I think. Uh, won a Jennings Trophy with Brian Elliott, but... Uh, not Jake Allen in my book. I'm going to start Jake Allen. Um, I always go back to what Jake Allen did for the Blues during that stretch or in the postseason when they won the Stanley Cup. And he played a big role in helping that team win when he would mimic the other goalies and, and do a lot of scouting for the team. And, you know, a lot of players wouldn't have done stuff like that if they weren't the guy that got the nod, especially when Jordan Bennington came out of nowhere and and became the starting goalie. But he was huge for the team during that time. So I'm going to start Jake Allen. I'm going to bench Yaroslav Halak. Simply because I loved his nickname, Halakdown. I thought that was one of the great goalie nicknames of all time. And I'm going to cut Billy Huso simply because he's unavailable right he's now. Unavailable. He's unavailable. <laughs> From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one. Nolan Arnato, Ryan O'Reilly, Kurt Warner. Oh, come on. Wow. Okay. This one's actually easy for me. I'm going to start Ryan O'Reilly, captain of the... Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. And I think he's been an unbelievable leader and great person since he's come to St. Louis. I'm going to bench Kurt Warner because he won a Super Bowl here, was the quarterback of one of the greatest, if not the greatest football team that many of us will ever see. And he still continues to pour into St. Louis. And even though we love Nolan Arenado, he hasn't won here yet. Yeah. So I'm going to have to pick the, the two guys who have hoisted hardware in our town before I pick Nolan Arenado. Yeah, it's definitely a toss up between uh, O'Reilly and Warner here. And you know what? I, you went with O'Reilly. I don't want to be a hockey guy here. I'm going to go with Kurt Warner. We all got to live that story. It was amazing. Can't wait to see the movie. Probably as gimmicky as it's going to be. Uh, it'll still be fun to, to watch that movie on, on Kurt Warner. And I was at all those games. I watched the greatest show on turf and, and covered it uh, for different outlets. And uh, it's quite a story. So I'm going to go ahead and start Kurt Warner. And I am going to put Ryan O'Reilly on the bench. But gosh, the first sign of Warner struggling 
O'Reilly's going in <laughs> off the bench. And then uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and cut Arenado for the same reason. Fun to watch, great player. You know, generational player, but just hasn't done what those other two have done. You know the thing about the Kurt Warner movie? It could be a great movie, but for those of us who watched that season and and watched The Greatest Show on Turf, reality was far better and more entertaining and more exciting than any movie could be. Yeah, it really, it really is, but you're not going to give it a chance. I know you're going to give it a chance, but what I'm chance. saying, like, uh, it seems like you're already going into it with a view that uh, can't be as good, right? I just don't think it'll ever be as good as what we actually witnessed, but... I hope that it's a good movie because it was an incredible story. And for younger people or people outside of St. Louis, maybe who aren't big sports fans and didn't get to witness that and and aren't aware of what Kurt Warner's story is and how he went from stocking shelves to <laughs> leading a, the most high-powered offense in NFL history to a Super Bowl championship. It's a great story. It is a movie script, yeah. so I hope it's good. And just real quick, uh, I think I've told you this before, Michelle, but uh, in my post-dispatch days, they sent me to cover arena football. Oh, yeah. And I went back and looked at one of my old stories, and it did say in the last paragraph, Iowa Barnstormer quarterback Kurt Warner threw for 382 yards. So I actually got to cover him when he was in the Arena League. That's impressive. And when you saw him, did you ever think that he would be capable of doing what he did? Oh, yeah, totally. Super Bowl, (laughs) yeah, MVP, movie, the whole nine yards. Yeah, you were the first one on the case. Right. Go back and read that story. It says it in there. I will. I'm going to look that up. turn out to be a Hall of Famer. (laughs) You know, more people should give you credit for that PSJR. It's unbelievable. All right, Emily, we got one more? Yeah, we got one more. Let's see. From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one, the NHL All-Star Game, the Winter Classic, or Olympic Ice Hockey? Okay. I'm going to start Olympics because of the magnitude of the moment and playing for your country. That has to be an unbelievable feeling to be able to represent where you're from and have a gold medal on the line, knowing the world is watching too, by the way. I am going to bench the Winter Classic because I think that it's really well done every year. I like that it's a rotating venue, different teams, and it's... It's a really, really well-done event. And I'm going to cut the All-Star Game, just because All-Star Games in general aren't really my thing. Yeah, I'm right with you. One, two, three. I'm going to go ahead and start the Olympics, uh, international stage. Everybody's involved. Everybody's got uh, players from their team or from their country that they want to watch. And the other two, you know what? Both of these events are great, but I think they're great locally. Uh, You look at the Winter Classic, the one at Bush Stadium was phenomenal. I can't wait to go to the one at Target Field, Blues, Mm -hmm. Minnesota, coming up uh, this January. And the All-Star Game. The All-Star Game in St. Louis was unreal, but you had so many magical moments with, you know, Hall, Federko, McKinnis, all those guys coming out on the ice. Matthew Kachuk pulling off his uh, Calgary jersey. He's got, what, a Yachty jersey underneath it? The powder blue. It was awesome. But did anybody in Boston or, or, you know, San Jose get a kick out of that? Like, we did, no. So it's more of a local event. So I'm going to cut it, but that's a tough one because that was a great event. That's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. We're going to do an AJA. Ask Jeremy anything. Any of your blues questions that you have for Jeremy Rutherford, he's going to answer them. That's next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Kerker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. I'm Michelle Smallman. Brandy Kerker is out on vacation. We have Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, who's hanging out with us all morning. And right now, we are going to go to the Air Conference Service text line 65780. It's time for AJA. 
like an AMA, but ask Jeremy anything instead of ask me anything. And you guys have been sending in some great texts. I kind of don't know where to go first, JR, because all of these are so great. But let's let's start here. Like this one from the 314 that says, AJA, what would a potential trade package for Vladimir Tarasenko look like now? Yeah, it's probably changed, right, with the yeah. way he's been playing lately. Uh, what, six-game point streak? I think he's got nine points in those six games, four goals, five assists. Look, uh, Doug Armstrong stood his ground, and, and kudos to him, really, because this is a deal I thought would get done in the offseason. They wouldn't want the distraction. But he says, hey, look, you know, Vladdy, be prepared to play here in St. Louis this year uh, because the, the package wasn't there. And, and so Tarasenko shows up, great shape, fits in. I'm sure there was some awkwardness there at the beginning. Uh, but now everything seems to be blending in uh, fairly well. And he's playing well. And so Doug Armstrong, maybe he's heard from teams, maybe he's not in, in the past couple of weeks. But I would think uh, that if a deal doesn't get done this summer, I'm sorry, this season, that perhaps next offseason we'll see something. Now, what does that package look like? Well, mm-hmm. we know that uh, this past offseason, it didn't look like much, right? There weren't teams beating down Doug Armstrong's door. But I got to believe if he keeps this up, there's going to be teams calling. And, and do the Blues need a top four defenseman? Yes, they. I think they do. Uh, are teams going to offer the Blues a top four defenseman for Vladimir Tarasenko? They may. You know, the biggest thing that Doug Armstrong and the Blues want to do is not pay any of that salary, $7.5 million for Vlad Tarasenko this year and next year. So, you know, whereas maybe they could have made a deal this past year where they were able to retain some of the salary, I think now if if – he proves that he's healthy and can, can be productive, you're going to have a team maybe say, hey, we'll pick up the salary, which could facilitate the deal. And, Michelle, just to answer the question, I know everybody asks this each week, you know, does Tarasenko still want to trade with as well as things are going? Um, I am told that he does. I am told that that hasn't changed. I know we turn on the TV and see him smiling every night, uh, but he would still like a trade. And, and does he change his mind tomorrow? He could, but at this moment, he still wants a trade. And I think kudos to him for the way that he's handled this entire situation. You, you mentioned that Doug Armstrong deserves a lot of credit for sticking his ground and not moving on past what he thought the Blues could get for Vladdy. But if he still wants a trade and still feels a certain type of way about this organization and the way that he was treated, then if I'm a prospective team looking into him, I am that much more impressed with him that not only has he come back healthy and he's playing really well, and we know that Vladimir Tarasenko could take over a game and be a superstar when he's able to turn the Jets on, but to think that he was upset with the organization and has come back, he worked out in the offseason, made sure he was in great shape, he did not want to be a distraction, and a lot of people can say those things, but to actually put it into practice when you feel slighted by people is much more difficult. So the fact that he has come in here seemingly has been great with his teammates, has been good with the media and has just put his head down and has been playing really well. That to me makes him more attractive if I'm another team. Yeah, yeah, good for sure. And uh, I know we got other questions to get to those uh, just really quickly here, but I do want to make one more point. People say, you know, why would he still want to trade? You know, he's playing well. The team's playing well. Well, here's your answer. This was put in motion months and months ago. Mm -hmm. Look, his agent, he changed agents to help facilitate the trade request, and to move on. All summer, he wanted to trade. Guess what one of the things he wanted to do was play well. He wanted to play well to facilitate a trade. He didn't ask for a trade and then want to come out and play poorly or the team play poorly. So this is all part of what he's been wanting to do. Yeah, he's the answer to his own problem. 
if he plays well, it's his ticket out of here. Yeah. So as long as Doug Armstrong can find the right dance partner, right? <laughs> From the 314, AJA, ask Jeremy anything. What would it take to bring Matthew Kachuk home? Yeah, a lot. That's that's the answer. And uh, it would have cost way too much this past offseason. I think that's uh, that was the big uh, headline all year. Can the Blues get Matthew Kachuk, Michelle? And uh, obviously, you look at him, big price tag, 7.5, but he's He's in the last year of that deal, and he'll still be a restricted free agent. But here's the big question. If Calgary knows that he's not going to sign long-term in Calgary, which he may, but if they know he's not, they're going to have to move him because uh, his value would be at the highest. You don't want to wait you know, another year, two years. Then he's closer to unrestricted free agency, and he can just walk for nothing. So you know, I think the Blues continue to explore all the time. You know, I know they've had conversations about Matthew Kachuk. There's some interest there. Uh, it's going to be expensive in terms of you know the person's asking here what would it cost first of all it's going to cost a lot of money once you do bring him in uh, but you're gonna have to give up some good assets you know I don't think you're moving Jordan Cairo at this stage or maybe not even Robert Thomas but uh, any other you know young prospects in the organization plus some draft picks plus maybe an established player to get a Matthew Kachuk could Vladimir Tarasenko play into that at all yeah I think but it that kind of ties into uh, what the discussion was the past offseason. Would he go to Calgary? And if he wouldn't, because he does have a no-trade clause, could that lead to a situation where you have to bring in a third team? Uh, you know, So I don't know. So a little bit more convoluted when you're trying to move Vladdy Tarasenko to Calgary. From the 217, AJA with Brandon Saad skating. When is he expected to return, and how long must Villejuso sit on the COVID protocol list? Yeah, so Brandon Saad was on the ice yesterday at Centene. That was his first practice with the team. The Blues are off today. Craig Bruby said that Saad will skate on his own. Obviously, he doesn't want to take a day off. He's been off uh, so much lately. And the hope was that they're going to continue to ramp him up. He'll get a team practice and then play in L.A. on Wednesday. That's what the plan is. Look, if he's not ready in the next couple of days, maybe they have to sit him one more game and then play him on Thursday. But the plan is to play uh, Wednesday. And then with Billy Huso, uh, Craig Bruby didn't have any information on that. We know that you know some of these guys, maybe there's no symptoms. They test twice in 48 hours and can get out of protocol. Perhaps that's a situation. Uh, But uh, I kind of look at all these as as soon as they put them on the list, it's probably going to be 10 days unless something good happens. From the 636, ask Jeremy anything. Best stadium food in the NHL. <laughs> There's a bunch of them. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's not often the stadium food. I kind of, you know, step outside the stadium and enjoy the city, right? So whether you're in Nashville and you're eating barbecue or you're in Vancouver and you're eating sushi. But if you had to if you had to pick the food that's inside the stadium, wow. I think Minnesota's got some, some good food at their stadium. Um, you know, this is going to sound like a weird one, but Arizona's got some uh, good brisket, a good brisket sandwich out there. Yeah. Arizona, Yeah, huh? it sounds weird that yeah. I would say that, right? But that's one of the few that I kind of venture down in the concourse and, and walk around. But definitely, if you're going to any of these stadiums, don't eat that stadium food. Go outside and enjoy the city. Yeah, you can get nachos anywhere. Right. Right? All right, well, that's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Michelle Small, and we have a lot of questions, a lot of great texts that we didn't get to, so maybe we'll get back to this later in the show. If you have any more questions for Jeremy Rutherford, text men 65780. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN with Jeremy Rutherford and Michelle Smallman, it's time for Take It or Leave It. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford and Michelle Smallman here with you. On 101 ESPN, it's Carriker and Smallman. And it is 7.49. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, which means it's time for Take It or Leave It. JR, we talked about this off the top here. So the Braves 
had a first inning grand slam last night, but they ended up losing game five to the Astros. Game six heads back to Houston. But the Braves still lead the series three to two. Take it or leave it. That was Atlanta's chance. And the Astros are going to come back and win the World Series. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. We've seen this in all these postseasons uh, that we've followed with the St. Louis Cardinals. And momentum is a big thing. And now you go back to Houston after overcoming that grand slam in the first inning to win that game. Go back. And, you know, again, like I said earlier, wish that Dusty could win it with a different team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not the Astros, but uh, rooting for Dusty here. And I think after coming back last night, the Braves blew their chance. So I'm going to leave it, even though they it was their chance to win um, a World Series championship, I believe, for the first time in 26 years in front of their home fans reminds me of the Blues when they had that opportunity in game six and then they had to go even though they were a great road team during those Stanley Cup playoffs and they had to go back to Boston for game seven a lot of people thought that about the Blues that that was their chance and they messed up and they ended up winning so hopefully the Braves (laughs) are the same way all right take it or leave it Michelle Uh, everybody knows that you missed uh, last week the end of the week you were in NYC that's right that was a good trip and and you're telling me we're talking off air that uh, it's a late night city right everybody knows New York is What time did the party get started uh, you went to? I went to a party on Saturday, and they said doors open at 10. I said, they open at 10? (laughs) I'm from St. Louis, okay? I don't eat dinner at 8.30 like you guys do. I'm eating at 5 p.m. Doors need to open around 6.45 for me. Doors opened at 10. Yeah, and who gets there when the doors open? So you're probably starting to get ready at 9, 9.30, right, to get there at 11. (laughs) Right. Just crazy. And you were saying how just everybody goes out. Everybody. Every single night. Everybody goes out. They have... I have drinks with clients. I'll meet you for dinner. Well, someone said to me, I have drinks with clients after work. Why don't we do dinner at 9? I was like, I will be in bed by 9. What are you talking about? Especially no. when you're used to doing a show 7 to 10 That's right. no in way. the morning. Well, I'll do a take it or leave it. It is a happening city. I know that you know. sometimes you come out of the hockey game in Edmonton and there's just nothing open. Like If you're even looking for a bite or a drink, just absolutely nothing open. Yeah. In New York, you walk outside and you could just have your pick of whatever type of place you want to go to. Take it or leave it. If you lived in the NYC, you would go out every single weekend. We're talking every Friday and Saturday like everybody else does or would you be a little bit of a homebody? Take it or leave it. I gotta take that and I think it's because I wouldn't want to live in my tiny apartment. I think a lot of people want to go out all the time because they don't want to come back to their their baby dorm rooms that they pay $5,000 a month for. (laughs) Because these apartments in New York, even a really nice one is small. That's another thing about St. Louis. We've got room to roam out here, you know? We've got bedrooms. We've got a full (laughs) service kitchen and um, yeah, I think I would go out every week because I wouldn't want to have to cook in my living room. Yeah. Tell everybody what time it was at that 10 o'clock party when you looked at your watch. So I looked down at my phone and it was 2 a.m. and I had to be at the airport in four hours and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> Am I in college? I haven't done this in a long time. So we made, well, we made it. We made it home. Made it. All right, Emily, what do we have on the Air Comfort Service text line? From the 314, take it or leave it, this year's Blues team is better than the 2019 Stanley Cup team. I am absolutely positively going to leave that. You yeah. have to. That was, uh, you know what? For as bad of a start that that was in 2018-19, we all remember that. It was just a great team. It really was. I mean, that defense with Petrangelo and Bowmeister and Colton Pareko and the veterans that they had up front, O'Reilly, you know, they still have him, uh, Shen, but you had an Alexander Steen on that team. So, you know, they deserve everything that we say about them in terms of pulling it together and the whole worst to first and Stanley Cup, first cup in, uh, in club history. Uh, but it was still a good team. We can't overlook that uh, it was just a bad start. So got to go with that team. Uh, not This team isn't, uh, I, don't, I don't think, quite as good as that one. This team has a lot of depth, and they're off to a great start. But that, that team just had a couple more pieces that I would feel confident in. Like, 
Alex Petrangelo, Jay Bomeister, who was great for them, um, until... I would say with this team, you need to give it a little bit more time. And even though we're pleased with the way that they started, I'm not going to put them on that level just yet. Yeah, plus the magic. You had Bennington coming up. That's and just right. Take control. And, you know, they had a song. Yeah, I don't know where the, yeah, I mean, come on. I don't know where the magic's coming from uh, this year, but they are a good team. Let's not take that away from them. From the 314, take it or leave it. The Blues will have a 30 goal, scor- goal scorer this season. I'm, I'm actually going to have to. You're going to take it? Go ahead. Isn't it Vladimir Tarasenko? Isn't that what he's going to yeah, do? He's off to that kind of start, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wants out. He needs to prove himself. He's going to continue to be the Vlad, vintage Vladdy this entire season. Why? If I'm taking somebody to do it, it's going to be him. Yeah, well, you got Perron off to a good start in terms of uh, the goal scoring uh, and Vladdy as well. Um, but I'm going to leave it. And only because, Michelle, I got to stick to what I've been writing. And sometimes you say something different than you write. People let you know about it. Uh, I said that uh, they won't have any 30 goal scorers, but they're going to have about six 20 goal scorers. And I think if memory serves, uh, when I wrote it, that's going to be like the first time since early 2000s, maybe 2003, where they had six 20 goal scorers. So uh, I think that there's the potential for that. We all know the guys who are capable of doing that. Uh, but a 30 goal scorer, no. So I'm going to leave it. From the 314, take it or leave it. Jordan Bennington gets in at least one fight this year. Go ahead, Michelle. I think I'm going to take that. <laughs> you have to. I, I mean, he, he's been close already. <laughs> yeah, and it's a situation where, gosh, so many dust-ups with him, right? And you got half the people like it, half the people don't. You know, obviously, if you're a Blues fan, probably more so than if you're watching around the league and you see him get involved in another one. Look, this one I think was different. This one a couple nights ago uh, was different than the other ones. This is the first time that I heard him afterwards say, hey, look, I don't condone what I did. Um, I know he's got an image. I know he's got a little bit of a temper and that goes back before he was a famous goaltender for the Blues. He, he had situations like this in the minor leagues. But with uh, Jordan Bennington, you gotta believe that fight's coming soon, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you had to put your money on a team, what team do you think it would be? Oh man, that's a good one. Um... I don't know. So he, he he shot the puck down at Darcy Kemper the other day. You know, that's a bitter rivalry starting to happen there with the Blues and the Colorado Avalanche. You know, Kemper, I don't know if he's that uh, type of guy, but let's just say Colorado, I think, just because of that rivalry. From the 314, take it or leave it, one player or coach on the current Blues roster will get a statue one day. Oh, well, maybe Ryan O'Reilly. He was the cap. Well, he is the captain now and was on a team that won a Stanley Cup championship. I guess maybe if he finishes out his career here and they win again, maybe that maybe it's Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, I would think if you're going to have somebody, it's it's going to be O'Reilly. Unless they were to win, I think Bennington's time here in St. Louis is probably going to be longer than Ryan O'Reilly's just because of their their age and Bennington's got this six-year contract. Now, I know he hasn't been the goaltender the past couple of years that you think a, you know, statue-worthy, but what he did in 2019 was something else. And if he were able to win another cup before the end of this six-year uh, contract is up, I, I think he's a possibility. But if I had to lay some money down, um, I'm going to go with O'Reilly. So I'll take it. You know, I, I did believe that if Alex Petrangelo would have stayed, that would have happened one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that it happens now, but uh, I go O'Reilly if anybody. We we'll get to one more real quick from the two one seven. Take it or leave it. Jordan Cairo is an All Star this year. I think he has to be. I, I think uh, you know, there's been nights where there's been other people 
play as well as him, but I think on the whole, he's probably been the Blues' best player. I, I do think, I will say this, Michelle, that uh, trying to do a little too much lately, I felt like in the Chicago game a couple nights ago, uh, a lot of one-on-one stuff, and he needs to use his teammates like he did those first five games because that's where the team success comes from, the support, you know, getting up the ice and, and helping each other out. So if he can tone it down a little bit, but that's what makes him so good. Yeah. So it's hard to hard to argue, you know, when, he, when he's so successful at it. But uh, I think I'll take it. I think he could be an all-star this year. That's such a tough balance when you know that your skill is what's separating you. But you but doesn't that come with maturity and more time yeah. in a league and with a team is learning when to turn that on and when to rely on your teammates? Yeah, that's the thing. Pick a spot. And he knows what he's doing. Look, you know, we saw it those first uh, five games. But and he, he wasn't the only one that was guilty the other night. Just. They're just not playing with the same support that they uh, did those first five games, and I thought Kyrie was a little guilty of that the other night. But on the whole, great season, great start so far. Last year wasn't a fluke with Jordan Kyrie, and it looks like he's building on that. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. That's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Michelle Smallman. Well, speaking of the Blues, they bounced back after their first losses of the season to beat the Blackhawk, excuse me, one to nothing over the weekend. We're going to talk about that with JR next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Back to David Perron. Again to Tarasenko. Near side, Krug. Shoot, score! Tori Krug. His first of the year comes on the power play. We're in a good spot. We, we have to recognize that it's a very tough division, tough league this year, and it's going to be a war, and I think every game is important. And, and you know, it's a good start, like you said, but we got to keep working and keep building and keep having fun, and that just makes it more enjoyable and a uh, fun season, yeah. Jeremy Rutherford and Michelle Smallman here with you on 101 ESPN. As you just heard there on the return, Corey, excuse me, Tori Krug cashing in on the power play in the third period as the Blues bounced back from their first loss of the season to beat the Chicago Blackhawks one to nothing on Saturday. And Jr. the Blues off to a really good start. But that game, even though they were able to find a way to win, not exactly what you would have wanted to see from the Blues, especially playing a team like the Chicago Blackhawks who haven't had a lot of success this season. Yeah, and you're going to have games like that when you go against an inferior opponent like that, but you got to look at it this way is the Chicago Blackhawks looking for that first win. They're doing everything they can, so you're playing a pretty determined team, and so I think for the Blues to stick with it, even though, uh, you know, some turnovers first couple periods, you like to see that cleaned up. To get into that third period, still be pushing like the Blues were, and Michelle, kind of a funny story, so Tori Krug scores the power play goal and wins it, and then in the post game, Tori Krug's up at the podium talking to reporters. He's discussing the goal, and who slips into the press conference? David Perron and takes a seat behind the reporters and Tori Krug sees him. Actually, some of the reporters didn't see him, but Krug sees him. And he weaves into his comment, well, I had to do something with the puck because I looked over and David Perron wasn't doing anything. He just over there <laughs> stick handling, doing doing nothing. And so I had to put it on net. And uh, David Perron stood up and he said, well, the, the D are playing so well because they're getting a lot of help from the forwards. So <laughs> some back and forth banner between the two. And every time you tweet that stuff, fans just eat it up because uh, they say they just can tell how close this team is. And I, I do think there's something to that. I'm glad you brought that up because we heard in the return Jordan Bennington talk about how every game's important, but they need to keep having fun and that's one thing I consistently hear from Blues players after these games is they keep weaving in the word fun and it really does seem like 
the chemistry uh, on this team is a little different than we saw last year and that they're making more of a concerted effort to go out there and play loose and ha- and play a little bit more relaxed and have fun with one another. Yeah, I think so. And there's been a number of examples this season already. And you probably saw it on social media a few weeks ago where I think it was David Perron and Baruby collided on the ice. Yeah, and then yeah. the next day they came out and they had the police tape, basically the orange paint around the, the crime scene. And, and so there's things like that. It seems like uh, you have to do things like that to keep it fresh throughout the year. And, you know, as we know, uh, they haven't played a full season the past couple of years. It's been mm-hmm. shortened because of COVID. But this is going to be a long one, 82 games. And so I think anytime you can do things like we saw at the press conference the other night, uh, these guys are going to enjoy each other. Well, speaking of COVID, the Blues um, announced that Brandon Saad is off the protocol list. He could return to play soon. We're going to get in the, in, into that in a second. Ryan O'Reilly still on the list. And backup goaltender Billy Huso also placed on the list. And you don't want to lose any of those guys, JR. But having Billy Huso now not be available for the team, that's a problem when you don't have depth at goaltender. It really is. And, you know, because of cap issues, it's a great uh, situation to have a, a goalie like Billy Huso, a prospect. I know he doesn't have a ton of experience, but at 750000 a year, and if he can step in and play the way he did that first appearance, a shutout, so now he has two shutouts, two straight shutouts uh, dating back to last year in the regular season. You know, that's a, that's a good situation for the Blues, but after that, there's nobody. You go down to a prospect, Joel Hofer, who they've recalled with Huso being out uh, with COVID, and so Hofer will come up. I don't know if we'll see him in a game, but they're probably going to have to use him at some point because if Huso is if his COVID stay is ten days, uh, it's going to be a situation where they might have to play the prospect. But yeah. in the meantime, Mike McKenna, the St. Louisans, played with uh, almost every team in the NHL. It seems like we're going <laughs> to talk to him in just a little bit. He stepped in for practice yesterday after retiring right last year, and so he steps in there in a pinch. They needed somebody, and I tweeted, uh, "Looking good, McKenna. How about a PTO? Maybe, <laughs> maybe the Blues will want to sign the local guy." That's right. Mike McKenna is going to join us at nine thirty, and. and- we're going to talk to him about stepping in and what that was like for him. But, Jared, with the Blues having back-to-back games this week, Wednesday and Thursday, versus the Kings and versus the Sharks, do you think we'll see Hofer? Well, it's tough. You know, he had a good preseason, and like I said earlier, he's off to a good start with the Springfield Thunderbirds of the American Hockey League, uh, 3-0-1. and That team's playing really, really well. You know, you're almost going to have to use him. I mean, you do have the two days off now before you play Wednesday in L.A., and then you play the Thursday game, and then you have two more days off. So if Jordan Bennington can play the back-to-back, which, you know, it's early in the season and he's capable of doing it. I think he's done it a couple times in his career. You know, perhaps that's the way the Blues are going to roll. And then with those two days off after the back-to-back, you know, you can get by probably with Jordan Bennington. So I think they'll continue to, you know, monitor that that uh, Huso situation. Look, at this point, we haven't been confirmed yet that he's out 10 days, uh, so we'll see. But, you know, I think they would probably feel comfortable if they had to go to Hofer, but if I had to guess, I think they ride Bennington. And it seems like Brandon Saad may be ready to go by Wednesday. No, if he's removed from the list, I know you uh, he's skating today. You mentioned you think there's a chance that we could see him on Wednesday? Yep, on the ice yesterday, and uh, he's going to skate today. Even though the team's off, he'll skate on his own, and uh, Craig Bruby reiterated yesterday that the plan is still to see him in Wednesday's lineup. Yeah, I thought he looked good today. He felt good. Uh, we'll get him skating again tomorrow just on his own. Um, and then, you know, practice with the, with the club on uh, Tuesday. 
And what about Ryan O'Reilly? When are you anticipating that he'll be back? Yeah, so he's out 10 days for sure, and uh, that means four games. And so he's missed two, I believe. So you're looking at missing Wednesday and Thursday's game and then potentially being available at the end of that road trip. And speaking of Ryan O'Reilly, after the game the other night against Chicago, it was uh, Jordan Bennington, Michelle, who said that uh, O'Reilly is lighting up the text thread, the team text thread. (laughs) And uh, he said, uh, way to go, boys. Good win. Uh, You can't you know, Ryan O'Reilly can't be not a part of this, right? Like, no, uh, of course. I'm sure he's watching on TV. He's probably got like some linoleum where he's stick handling <laughs> in his living room with the COVID watching the game. And, and uh, but yeah, he's a big part of this team. And so uh, no surprise there that he's uh, hitting the text thread after the game to tell the guys a good win. I'm su- I wouldn't be surprised if he's got that balance beam. Remember, we saw that <laughs> video of him doing the stick handling on the balance beam. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if that's in the living room and he's doing that while he's watching the game. Yeah, juggling the salt and pepper shaker. <laughs> Yeah, yeah lots of stuff. Are, are you a little surprised? Yeah, the NHL did such a good job with all of the COVID protocols, and we know that most teams are fully vaccinated or they have the majority of their teams vaccinated. So it's a little frustrating to still be at this stage of the game when it comes to the COVID protocols, when it seems like everyone has gone out and done their part, and yet you're still having guys who are missing a significant amount of time because of COVID and because of the COVID protocols. And Craig Berube was asked about this, if he's surprised about the amount of COVID cases in the NHL right now. Bad news on uh, on, on who? So, you know, other leagues that are playing now, they don't seem to have as many uh, COVID positives. Is that, is that a little, I don't know, puzzling to you? Or uh, you're wondering why maybe there's so many uh, in the, across the NHL? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you, Jim. I wish I did. Uh, you know, it's tough news for sure. You know, I'm not sure what, you know, why the NHL has gotten so many. As of late, hopefully, uh, you know, something changes. You would hope that something changes because it does seem like we're watching all of these other leagues and they're not really having the same issues that the NHL is. Yeah, Michelle, but I just don't know what can change. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about everybody's vaccinated. I think all but four players in the league exactly. are vaccinated. And maybe it's because I'm fixated on the NHL, so I see the number of COVID cases there. And I don't have any numbers in front of me. I don't have any comparisons to NFL, baseball. Um, you know, there obviously are cases in those other leagues, but it just seems like in the NHL, every team, even though they're completely vaccinated, uh, has two, three, four guys out. Fortunately for the Blues, it's been a little bit staggered. You lose Brandon Saad, now he's set to come back. You know, O'Reilly, you're going to miss him a couple games, and then he'll be back, and who so. But, yeah, we saw earlier in the season, look, the, the Blues were beating up on Colorado opening night because they, had, right. they had guys out, and then Chicago as well. Uh, uh, so they had guys on the list. So it has become an issue in the NHL, and we didn't think that it would be this big. That's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next, we're going to continue to talk about the Blues and visit with the boys of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, that's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman and Jeremy Rutherford sitting in with you. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and welcome in the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN, Chris Kerber. Good morning, Kerbs. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm good. How was your Halloween? Did you dress up? <laughs> no, I didn't dress up, but this was one of the, this was the first one where the youngest wanted to go on her own and, and the other two were out with friends or family. So we actually got to stay behind and pass out the candy for the first time. That, that, that was a good change of pace. And are you a full-size candy house, Kerbs? Because I could see you being a very uh, popular house in the neighborhood. Yeah, mix of uh, a mix of it all. I love it. A mix of it all. 
I love it. Well, let's talk a little blues hockey. So Brandon Saad, he's coming off the league's COVID-19 protocol. Ryan O'Reilly's uh, still dealing with that. And then the Blues got some unfortunate news that backup goalie Vili Husa was also placed on the list curves. And it seems like you take one step forward and another one back. And not having depth at goaltender, especially with the back-to-back games this week, this is a, a tough bit of news for the Blues. Well, it is. Uh, Joe Hofer is going to get called up, and, and that's some good news for him. He's, he's had a terrific, terrific start in Springfield, going 3-0-1. His goals against is under two. His save percentage is over 930. And, and he's helped the Springfield to a, a first-place start there in the American Hockey League. So, um, you, you know, you'll get an opportunity to play Jake Allen. The cool part is, and this would be kind of wild to see here if it if it ends up going that way, but Joel was born in Winnipeg, and that's where this road trip ends. How wild would it be if he ends up seeing a start against the Winnipeg Jets? Now, I don't expect it because in a divisional game, I think you got to go with Jordan Bennington there, but could be just an interesting storyline twist as the road trip goes along. But uh, I think, you know, the, the one thing that we know is even though all but, what, three or four players in the league, and it may even be less than that now, at the beginning of the season, I think it was only four players in the entire league you know, we're unvaccinated. We know the situation with breakthrough cases and things like that. So, uh, you know, th- this is just going to be part of the reality of the season, not just for the Blues, but for every team. I mean, the other night, Michelle, the San Jose Sharks had their head coach and seven players miss the game because of protocol. Now, they were fortunate enough to have their American Hockey League team in San Jose. So they were able to call some players up, and then they end up beating the Winnipeg Jets in overtime. But, you know, the reality of it is is th- this is just going to be something that uh, I-, I do not expect um, Billy Huso to be the last one uh, that deals with this for the St. Louis Blues. And, Curbs, you referenced Joel Hofer, for those not familiar, fourth-round draft pick, number 107 overall in 2018. He's played just 15 American Hockey League games. You know, you referenced, you know, potentially starting – in Winnipeg, uh, but as you look at the schedule, back-to-back Wednesday and Thursday, L.A., San Jose, and then Sunday against Anaheim, do you think the Blues will ride Bennington? Do you think Hofer could see one of these four games? You know, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did see one of the four games, to, to be honest with you. And and I'd almost, I almost wonder if that start, you know, and, and I'm just – my guess says you you go with Jordan Bennington, you see what his workload is against L.A. If it's a light kind of game, then you play him against San Jose. If it's a heavier kind of game, then maybe you give uh, you give Joel a start in San Jose. San Jose is a difficult start, I think, for your first career start. The, the way the building is, the players, or rather the fans, are right on top of you. There, there's that whole factor. But it is one of those kind of road trips. Without a doubt, you would have seen Billy Huso in one of these games, Jeremy. So, you know, if they stay true to it and they and they want to give the kid a crack, yeah, I, I think you could see him play in one of the four. The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here with us on 101 ESPN. And Kerbs, heading into the season, I would say the biggest storyline for the Blues surrounded Vladimir Tarasenko. A lot of people didn't know what he was going to look like to start the season, but he's been playing unbelievable. He picked up an assist on Saturday. He has nine points so far to start the season. And I would have to imagine that his trade value is continuing to tick up and up, which puts Doug Armstrong and the Blues in a pretty good spot if they want to deal Vladdy. Well, yeah, and you're just going to have to see how how this part continues and, and, you know, how the conversations go with his camp. And I clearly... That's something you know. I'll even defer to Jeremy on because I know he's 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 been all over this from the start. But yeah, look, the, the whole crux of it when when I kept saying all summer long that I thought that he was going to start the season here was there were too many question marks when combined with the salary implications. The way he's playing, 
is erasing some of those question marks and makes the salary implications much more palatable when you think he's got a, a second year to this. So if, if the feelings are still there and, 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 and movement is still part of the thing, he's helping himself and, and the blues are helping him. So Doug Armstrong can probably field those calls. Now I'll say, I'll say this, and this, this is pure speculation on my part. You know, the, the other reality of it is, is don't forget he still has control over where he goes. But to that extent, Doug Armstrong still has control over whether or not he deals them. So there's probably a little bit of still some potential cat and mouse and some tug of war that could happen here, depending on where the potential best deal is, if one ever comes to be. And again, still the flip side is you got two years left on his contract. If, if he's really helping this team right now, you, you just hope that they continue to roll with it as long as they possibly can. And we'll see if it does last the season. Courage. I really don't have any, I don't have any idea how this thing is going to play itself out. I just, I like the fact that he's playing the way he's playing, and I like the fact that how both sides are handling it right now, which is keeping everything completely quiet. That's the way it should be. Yeah, if you do know how it's going to play out, let me know so I can <laughs> be accurate with the reporting. <laughs> hey, you referenced uh, we referenced Ryan O'Reilly earlier out with COVID. The Blues 1-1 one one, uh, with him out of the lineup. They haven't looked the same. The loss to Colorado, scuffle a little bit against Chicago. You, you're watching it play-by-play as the puck goes up and down the ice. What do you notice the most about Ryan O'Reilly not being in the lineup? Uh, Just that that smart 200-foot game. I mean, that's 20 minutes of, you know, we won't call it perfect hockey because I don't think that exists, but it's 20 minutes of great all-around hockey in terms of defensive play, offensive play, the ability to hold it. I think you've seen, you know, the, the difference in the chemistry of David Perron having to try to figure out life without him for the first time in over 214 games, right? And 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 that has adjusted kind of the entire lineup. I thought they really looked discombobulated in, in the loss to Colorado and still had it a one-goal game, and I think you got to keep that in mind. It's still a one-goal game, and everybody kept talking. You know, it's funny, you still listen, Jeremy, to, like, to some of these national guys Whatever they're talking about, Colorado was missing two of their key guys, or this team's missing two of their key guys. We were missing Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad, right? And and pretty much after the second game of the season, we were missing another top nine forward, and Pavel Butchnevich. And for a while, it was it was Saad and Butchnevich. And you're going, hello. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's amazing the way this team, you know, just kind of gets overlooked in some of these scenarios at the beginning of this year. I'm not sure I've seen anything quite like it from a a broader outside of St. Louis perspective. But I think, Ryan, look, look I thought they played a better game against Chicago than they did against Colorado. Uh, I, I think you'd have felt much more comfortable in that game if, if Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't stand on his head and make, like, Gumby on a couple of saves. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, I, I think – and also, listen, that, that Chicago game is, is a difficult one you know, be, because they're not playing with great structure. Defensively, they're a mess. Um, and, and it can make good teams kind of look goofy. And, and then when you had Marc-Andre Fleury standing on his head like he did, uh, you know, Lackanen wasn't very good the night before in Carolina for him, and I think that helped make Carolina look good. Fleury was fantastic in that game. He was one of our three stars. So I, I think you'll see a better structure against the L.A. Kings, and then the San Jose Sharks are playing some real good hockey. So, he, so two harder tests now that you played a couple of games without Ryan O'Reilly to see how your process is going without him. Curbs, if you had a question about the Blues going into the season, it was probably about the defense. You just didn't know if it was going to be able to uh, stand up to the challenge here. But you look after, what, seven games, Colton Braco playing a ton of minutes, looks healthy. Falk, Justin Falk, he looks like an all-star, an Olympian. Tori Krug looks more comfortable. What catches your eye with this defense, and do you believe they're getting the job done? 
Yeah, and I think, you, you, Jeremy, I think you got to go to the bottom pair, too. And I think Robert Bortuzzo and Jake Wallman have been really good. I I like the development of Jake Wallman here, and I, I've compared it a lot to that of Bryce Salvador, you know, just in terms of the amount of time spent in the American Hockey League, and then at 24-25 you come into the National Hockey League and, and, and you find your groove. But, one, the healthy Colton Pareko is making all the difference in the world. Look, look at when you can play him 25 more minutes in all but one game this year, right? 28 minutes two games ago. It, what that's done, it's made Marco Scandella better. And, and it's something, uh, when you're a player on the ice and you can make the other guy better, you're a really doggone good player. And that's what's going on there. Well, it's allowing them to play Justin Falk and Tori Krug in better and different situations. And I think... You know, I, I think it's allowing them to play Tory Krug the way they need to play Tory Krug versus what we saw last year and probably certain situations or minutes that uh, you know, that Colton would have eaten that Tory Krug was trying to was trying to get. And I still think Tory had a had a really solid year. So I just a healthy Colton Pareko has slotted the rest of the defensive crew exactly where they need to be, and you're seeing the difference there. So I do think at the same time, Jeremy, I was glad to see the shutout against Chicago. Because if you if you look at it, they had still allowed three or more goals in four of those what first five games or four of the first six games, you know. So cutting down on some of the chances is still something I think from an all around team defense thing they they needed to do. So I was thrilled not only for Jordan but for the team to see a goose egg on the board. He's the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN, Chris Kerber. Kerbs, thanks so much for the time. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys, have an awesome start to the week. Thanks, Kirby. All right, it's Jeremy Rutherford and Michelle Smallman with you here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, it's the fight. Keep it here on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drama. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 8.33. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Randy Character is on vacation today, which means that Carl gets to take on Jeremy Rutherford in the fight. Good morning, Carl. How are Hi. you? I'm well. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm doing great. How do you feel about taking on JR as opposed to Randy today? Uh, well, he's a pretty smart man, too, so we'll, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I feel I feel pretty good. We'll see what happens. Carl, what's your sport of choice? Uh, well, lately it's been it's been hockey. I like the Blues a lot. Um, football's kind of, I don't know, I kind of more or less kind of taking a break from football, I think. Do you like baseball? Uh, I do like baseball, yeah. Baseball, I love the Cardinals. Go Cards. <laughs> Well, we've got a, a fully baseball fight for you today, Carl. So hopefully you oh, can <laughs> pull out some baseball. <laughs> that's, awesome. uh, yeah. that's how it always happens, right? A hockey guy always right. gets the baseball fight. This is what always happens absolutely. on our show. All yeah, right, well, here, here you go, Carl. Good luck. Question number one. Brave shortstop Dansby Swanson was the first overall pick by the Diamondbacks in the 2015 Major League Baseball draft. Which Astro was the second overall pick? Was it Alex Bregman, Forrest Whitley, or Carlos Correa? Uh, I believe it was Correa. Astros right-hander Zach Greinke has two hits in the World Series so far. Who was the last pitcher to get a hit before Greinke did over the weekend in the World Series? Was it Max Scherzer, Corey Kluber, or Madison Bumgarner? 
Um, that's a good question. Uh, I probably go with Bumgarner. Question number three for you, Carl. Happy 61st birthday to former Cardinal and six-time Major League Baseball All-Star Fernando Valenzuela. Although he played for six teams in his 17-season career, he is best remembered for his time with which team? Was it the Angels, the Padres, or the Dodgers? Uh, I was, he was a Dodger. That's the only way I ever remembered him. <laughs> and last question. Which former Cardinal holds the MLB record for longest no-hit bid by a rookie in a postseason game? Is it Michael Walker, Luke Weaver, or Lance Lynn? Hmm. Actually, would have went a different way. Um, I think uh, probably Michael Walker. I think. I don't remember Lynn doing that. All right. We're checking our score here. JR waiting patiently in the booth, <laughs> getting in here. JR, as you get settled in, please say hello to your competition because this is a friendly fight. It's Carl. Hey, Carl. How you doing? Good, Jeremy. How are you? Real good. I wish I were a better lip reader. I was in the cone of silence. <laughs> I will admit that I was looking through the glass, but I could not read your lips, Michelle. Anyway. At least you're honest. Yeah. Gets me in trouble a lot. Almost <laughs> did there, but I didn't see your hair or anything. Okay, good. Are you ready, Jeremy? Yep, yeah, yeah, let's go. I'm oh, sure Carl's got a good shot here. Carl just said good luck to you. That's so oh, nice. Oh, thanks, Carl. <laughs> Question number one for you, Jr. Brave shortstop Dansby Swanson was the first overall pick by the Diamondbacks in the 2015 Major League Baseball draft. Which Astro was the second overall pick? And you would like the options, correct? Oh, yeah. All right. Is it Alex Bregman, Forrest Whitley, or Carlos Correa? Let's go with, uh, I got A's in school all the time, so I'm going to go with A, Bregman. Astros right-hander Zach Greinke has two hits in the World Series so far. Who was the last pitcher before Greinke to get a hit over the weekend in the World Series? Was it Max Scherzer, Corey Kluber, Madison Bumgarner? I also got a lot of C's in school. <laughs> so uh, I know Bumgarner can, can hit pretty well. So we'll go with C, Bumgarner. Happy 61st birthday to former Cardinal and six-time Major League Baseball All-Star Fernando Valenzuela. Although he played for six teams in his 17-season career, he is best remembered for his time with which team? Is it the Angels, the Padres, or the Dodgers? Yeah, I was going to say, almost didn't need the options on this one. We'll go with the uh, Dodgers. And which former Cardinal holds the MLB record for longest no-hit bid by a rookie in a postseason game? Is it Michael Waka, Luke Weaver, or Lance Lynn? Let's see. Luca? I'm sorry. Waka? <laughs> not Luca. Not Luca. That was not one of the choices. No, it was not. We said Waka. Waka. Lance Lynn. Lynn Weaver. Weaver. I'm going to go with, I think I remember this game, uh, Michael Waka. Whew, close fight. Close fight on a Monday between Carl and Jeremy. Was JR able to assume the role of Probably Megamind, not. or is he a massive disappointment <laughs> to our show? <laughs> Emily, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, oh, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions, providing oh, St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. I don't have the sound or Jared. You want to do it? All I do is win. Just win, baby. <laughs> Just win, baby. I'm so right. sorry, Carl. 
he, you were so close, Jr. with the last second correct answer on number four, but he did beat you three to two. You did a good job. You got two correct. So well, I appreciate it, Michelle. Thank you very much. You Jeremy, got, good fight, man. You too, buddy. This has been the most. All right. Have a good day. Bye, Carl. Thank you so much. I love much. you, Carl. All right. Yep. <laughs> love you, Carl. Hey, thank you. Carl's a great name. Right. Carl's an awesome name. Um, that was the most. Uh, like great display of sportsmanship right. that I've seen on the fight in a long time. <laughs> Carl was cheering for you. You were cheering for Carl. Anyway, so the Astro, who was the second overall pick in the 2015 Major League Baseball draft behind Dansby Swanson, was Alex Bregman. Astros right-handed pitcher Zach Greinke has two hits in the World Series. The last pitcher to hit, get a hit before Greinke was Corey Kluber. Oh. Infield single in Game 4 of the 2016 World Series. Fernando Valenzuela did play for the Cardinals, but he's best remembered as an, a Los Angeles Dodger. And the former Cardinal that holds the Major League Baseball record for longest no-hit bid by a rookie in a postseason game is, in fact, Michael Waka. Seven and a third innings, Game 4 of the 2013 NLDS versus the Pirates. And it wasn't Luca. It was right? not Luca. No. It was yeah. surprisingly <laughs> phenomenal athlete, but it was not Luca. So... JR, congratulations. Oh, thanks, thanks. Uh, but now Carl is uh, hanging up and he's thinking, did he read their lips? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did a good job. I thought you might lose, or I thought it might go to a tiebreaker. And I don't know if you would have gotten the tiebreaker. No. But I'm not going to reveal it because Emily will save it for tomorrow, yeah, and I don't want to give her extra yeah. work. 2-0 and oh in the fight now. Are you? Yeah, how about that? Well, you're going to be here tomorrow. Do you want to take the fight again tomorrow? I might have to unless you want to. <laughs> <laughs> what people don't know is when Randy's not here, whoever is filling in and I, every time we're like, do I, do we have to do Because it's not our deal. It's Randy's deal. You know, he's Megamind for a reason. And most of us filling in for Randy know that we can never be him. So it's a losing battle. But I have to say, you're pretty impressive. No. Tripped into that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Michelle Smallman here on Character and Smallman 101 ESPN. Coming up next, some major, and I mean major injury news coming out of the NFL. We're going to tell you about it next. Just win, baby. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Randy Character is out. I'm Michelle Smallman. Jeremy Rutherford is sitting in for Randy all day. And the NFL is never without storylines or news, JR, but we have some pretty big news coming out of the really NFL big. world from Adam Schefter. So about 30 minutes ago, Adam Schefter tweeted this. Titans running back Derrick Henry suffered a potentially season-ending foot injury during Sunday's 34-31 win over Indianapolis, sources reported to ESPN. Henry is undergoing an MRI today to determine the full extent of the damage. And, JR, this is a massive piece of injury news throughout the NFL. And I think Rex Ryan put it best on get up Rex Ryan saying this morning there's no player in the league that means more to his football team than Derrick Henry yeah he has uh, 937 rushing yards that leads the league and you got six and two Tennessee sitting there atop the AFC South and so if you're a Derrick Henry fantasy owner you thought you had a terrific weekend good Halloween uh, had some fun with friends got to spend the night with everybody wake up Monday morning you're driving to work this isn't good news for you no it's not and Losing Derrick Henry is going to change the entire complexity of that team and their chances for this season. That's big a, a big-time loss for them. All right, well, let's talk about the other side of that game, of that 34-31 win for the Titans over the Colts. A lot of people this morning, JR, are talking about Carson Wentz. 
And with Carson Wentz, there's highs and there's lows. And the highs are pretty high, but the lows are super low. And Carson Wentz has a play that is going to be on his low light reel for a long time that came out of this game. So the Titans and the Colts were tied. 90 seconds left in regulation. Carson Wentz starts a drive at about his eight-yard line. He takes the snap. He backs up into his end zone. He fakes the throw. He's getting taken to the ground. As he goes down, he tries to get rid of the ball, and he ends up throwing what was one of the worst interceptions that a lot of people have seen in a long time. Elijah Molden catches the ball for the interception. He makes his way into the end zone for a touchdown, and the Colts end up losing that game. But that is a version of Carson Wentz that I think a lot of Eagles fans are looking at saying, that's the type of guy we remember. There were high highs, there were low lows. And the Carson Wentz experiment in Indy, He's, he's got times when he's really good, but then there's moments like that where you just don't trust him and you know that he can turn into a pumpkin, for lack of a better term, at any point. Well, and not to stereotype his play, but that's what you get with those types of players. Like, like you see the talent. That's why he's picked so high. It didn't work out in Philadelphia. He gets a change of scenery, and he's actually looked pretty good the last month. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, a quarterback passer rating of, of above 100 the last four weeks, but then you just have a relapse like we saw yesterday. Bad decision, terrible decision. Uh, cost them the game there with a buck and a half left in the game, and now everybody's talking today like that's the old Carson Wentz. Tim Hasselbeck was on SportsCenter and echoed those same thoughts. They trade for him because they want to get better at the position after Phillip Rivers retires. And so you expect that, you know, a player like that will help you in close games. Quite honestly, he costs them the football game. This interception that goes for a touchdown is about as bad as you can get. They're trying to run a screen, a slip screen, to Mo Ali Cox, who's a tight end on the right. It gets stuffed out. That can happen because the right guard gets beat. You throw it at his feet. That's all you do. Plays over. You're not blocking anybody. You can't hold on to the football. So this idea you're trying to create something beyond that just can't happen. And it's taught early on when you play the position. That's what can't happen. Like That, that is actually why you went and got Carson Wentz. Is so moments like that wouldn't be part of your season when you have the defense they have, the offensive line they have, the running back they have. When you have all of those pieces, you're just hoping your quarterback doesn't do that, which is exactly what he did. And you you thought it was good at points with Carson Wentz and Frank Reich. Clearly, they have a relationship. Clearly, Frank Reich is a quarterback whisperer and knows what he's doing there. But, gosh, I just... When I, when I look at the Colts situation, I can't think that they're super happy with Carson Wentz or that they, they have the utmost confidence in him moving forward this season. Yeah, I think there was decision-making issues in that game also with uh, Frank Reich, who, you know, great coach. And, you know, a lot of people peg that coach-quarterback duo to kind of turn around Wentz. And, you know, it looked like it, it might be the case, but that's a very tough loss, pivotal loss, now 3-5 and five on the season, Indianapolis behind Tennessee. But with that injury to Henry, maybe, like you said earlier, that changes things. Well, another interesting and costly game yesterday was between the Saints and the Bucks. The Saints end up beating the Buccaneers 36 to 27. And JR word coming out that Jameis Winston suffered a knee injury in the first half of that game. He didn't return, and that it's apparently pretty significant this injury. According to Ian Rappaport and Jane Slater, Winston suffered an apparent ACL injury, and there's potential damage to his MCL as well. Sean Payton after the game saying, I think it's significant. He felt something. He's on crutches right now. I don't want to say until I have a chance to talk with the doctors. This was after Devin White dragged him to the ground. You, you saw his knee 
bending pretty dramatically. It didn't look great. So I have to wonder if, if we'll see Jameis Winston the rest of the season. Did see him post game though, and the locker room celebration, celebrating on his crutches. So yeah. he, his <laughs> knee may have been down, but his spirit was not. <laughs> yeah, horse collar tackle there <laughs> yeah. takes him out. And I think you're right. Probably lost for the rest of the season. And they only had one other uh, healthy, active quarterback in that game yesterday. The third quarterback uh, inactive, and the talk Cam Newton. I know that pops up every time there's a quarterback injury situation, uh, but could he be on his way to New Orleans? Cam Newton, do you think Deshaun Watson maybe? I mean, the trade deadline is is looming, and I know that Houston said that they would hang on to Deshaun through the trade deadline if they weren't able to get the package that they believe he's worth. I'll be really interested to see what happens with that because obviously they had talks with the Dolphins. They had a package that they seemingly agreed on, but the Dolphins and their owner, Stephen Ross, apparently want Deshaun Watson's legal issues to be resolved before they would go make a move like that, which is completely understandable. Deshaun digging in and saying that he doesn't want to resolve the issues because that would be an admission of guilt and he doesn't want to go down that route. But it's going to be very interesting to see how things shape up the next couple days, or I guess tomorrow. Yeah, today's November 1st. My gosh, I can't believe it's November <laughs> already. But with the trade deadline looming, Deshaun clearly wanting to play, and quarterback needy teams out there, will will some team be bold enough to go out and get him? Yeah, and good point with New Orleans. I mean, Jameis Winston's kind of revived himself, I guess you'd say, uh, in New Orleans. Uh, but who's their quarterback of the future? You know, they had the young guy, but uh, he hasn't really panned out. And even if Winston does come back from this injury at the end of this year, or he's able to come back next year, you know, is he really the guy? So Deshaun Watson's issues aside, which I know it's hard to say that, you know, he's more of a future of your organization quarterback than Winston is, I believe. That's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Michelle Smallman. In case you missed the news off of the top of this uh, segment here, it's worth repeating because it is a very big deal. Adam Schefter reporting that Derek Henry Henry potentially out for the season after suffering a foot injury yesterday in the Titans 34 to 31 win over the Colts. Here's an an update from Adam Schefter. The concern on Derrick Henry is a Jones fracture that would require surgery and end his season. So it looks like he's dealing with a Jones fracture and Derrick Henry could be out for the rest of the year. Major news in the NFL. That's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next, the Blues with a 1-0 victory over the Blackhawks this weekend. We're going to talk about that with JR next. So keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Were you looking maybe to, did you see Thomas down there in the corner down there? Were you maybe trying to thread that one into him? Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. Um... I didn't like the the way the power play. We were just kind of passing the puck around and not getting anything at the net. And, um, you know, DP was just sticking on over there, not doing anything. So uh, I had to throw it there to the net and make a play. So. <laughs> That's Tori Krug talking post game after the Blues beat the Blackhawks one to nothing on Saturday. Tori Krug with the power play goal that ended up winning the game. And Jerry, you can give us a little bit of background on that because I think a lot of people driving around listening might be thinking, did Tori Krug just diss David Perron? What was he trying to say there? Yeah, if you hear that and you say, whoa, he's talking trash there. No, there's no problem in the locker room. <laughs> what happened there was David Perron, he was going to be next to talk to uh, the reporter. So he came in the room and instead of just standing off to the side, he decided to take a seat with the reporters. So he was uh, sitting in about the third row. Tory Krug spotted him. As soon as he saw him, he said, I'm going to weave in some David Perron here. Said that he's over there doing nothing, so I have to shoot the puck. And it got a laugh out of David Perron. 
This Blues team having a really good time with each other so far this season. I, I know we talked a lot about the trip to Vail and, and the bonding there, but it does seem like whether it's playing pranks on one another or joking around like that, or even in their post-game comments talking about having fun, that the energy with this team is really light and good. It is, and just sticking with those two, Michelle, uh, Krug and Perron, Krug said recently, he said when they had that Stanley Cup final, Boston against St. Louis, he said you know he didn't like playing against David Perron, and then Tori Krug signs with the Blues. And somebody said, hey, do you want David Perron's number? And he said, well, not really. (laughs) And I think he said, I'll take it, but it might be a few days before I call him. So you're right. To me, and I know it's a little bit cliche, but from what I've observed, it looks like a pretty close-knit group, and that can only help you. And that's so interesting to me because in the offseason or leading up to training camp, what was the narrative that Vladimir Tarasenko wants out and how awkward it could be and how this could cause a lot of drama within the dressing room and will it disrupt the chemistry of the team and with a Blues team that struggled at times last year to find their identity, how detrimental would that be to their success? And not only did Vladimir Tarasenko not miss a beat, and he's playing incredibly well, extending his point streak over the weekend with his assist to uh, Tori Krug on that goal, but he seems to not be a distraction at all. He's clearly a man on a mission, but for every every point that we made about the construction of this team and the distraction that Vladimir Tarasenko could be, it seems like this Blues team right now is the complete opposite. Yeah, I do think they're two different stories um, that obviously they have to blend together. But if, if you look at this team, it, it's it, I think it's a lot of good guys that get along. Uh, some of them are just getting to know each other. Uh, but I think there's a good vibe in a room. And, and then also you have this Vladimir Tarasenko situation that hasn't become the distraction that a lot of people, including myself, thought it might be. But they know in the back of their mind that that situation is going to eventually play itself out. But in the meantime, hey, you know, let's make it work. And I think that's the approach they've taken, and it's been successful. Tory Crew getting the goal on the power play at 735 at the third period. And JR, the Blue special teams have been really impressive so far this season. Yeah, really good. Uh, first, I'm sorry, second in both the power play and the penalty kill. We're not talking second in the division. We're not talking second in the conference. We're talking second in the entire National Hockey League. So the power play right now clicking at 35%. The penalty kill, 91.3%. Special teams has been an issue uh, for sometime with the St. Louis Blues. We saw it last year. Um, They actually made a change late in the year, put Steve Ott on the power play. Really successful down the stretch. Now they come back, and uh, I think Tory Krug is more comfortable his second year. He's quarterbacking that power play unit. Of course, he gets the goal the other night. Just heard from him. And then the penalty kill, uh, Jim Montgomery was the coach who was on the power play last year. He moves over to the penalty kill, and it's a much more aggressive unit this year, Michelle. They're really coming out on the power play teams. It's been highly effective, and it's, uh, I believe, probably won them a couple games. I mean, you look at that 6-1 and one record. If you're second in league on the PK with his number, the number of PKs they've gone on this year, uh, that's a big reason why they're winning games. And even though the Blues obviously off to a much better start this season than the Chicago Blackhawks, and there, there were certainly components of that game that you want the Blues to clean up. You don't want to see the turnovers. You would like to see them put it on the Blackhawks a little bit more. I think about everything that they're dealing with. Ryan O'Reilly's not there. Brandon Saad. And even though it was a, a lesser opponent and they didn't play up to their capabilities the entire time, the fact that this Blues team is finding ways to win no matter what the circumstances or no matter what situations they might put themselves in is really impressive to me. Yeah, good sign early on. I mean, you're without uh, the captain and we heard Curb say earlier, uh, you miss his 200 foot game. You know, it wasn't as crisp against Chicago as it had been earlier Earlier in the year, there were some turnovers. I felt like there were a lot of guys trying to do too much uh, by themselves. Just, I think Craig Bruby said, not making great puck decisions. The thing is, 
What Marco Scandella said the other day, he just felt like there was a lot of support. Everybody was moving as one, uh, playing together, and that just hasn't been there the past couple of games. But you can kind of expect it with uh, you know, guy Ryan O'Reilly plays 20 minutes, not in the lineup. So we'll see what happens on this road trip. And the Blackhawks, JR, are not having a great start to the season. They're 0-7-2 right now, and even though their record isn't sterling by any means, David Perron said the, the Blues entered that game not taking their opponent lightly. Yeah, I don't think we took them lightly. We, we had a lot of shots we drove the play for the most part and uh, they're gonna be nice like this where you you find a way to get a few early maybe it opens up the game and you you end up scoring a lot of goals and other nights we got to find a way to win one nothing and um, I, I really like how we stayed with our game uh, for most of the night we didn't give up that much uh, a couple chances at the end to, to kind of scare us there with a few seconds left but uh, yeah for the most part pretty good and you got to feel a little bad for Marc-Andre Fleury now I mean, I was reading about him last night saying that the month of October has been embarrassing and he he played really well on Saturday and he's just on a team that's not a great situation for him. Yeah, by all accounts, you know, one of the best guys in the league, David Perron, just uh, sings his praises. You know, Marc-Andre Fleury finds out on Twitter that he's been traded to the Chicago Blackhawks, talks about maybe retiring, decides to go to Chicago. I think uh, a lot of people had higher hopes for the Hawks this year, getting Jonathan Taves back. Obviously, an atrocious start. And then you have, you know, the situation off the ice, just looming over the whole entire organization. You know, if this is the way it wraps up for Marc-Andre Fleury, whether it be this year, you know, next year, you know, who knows when he calls it a career, but just a tough finish to what is a really good guy and a guy who last year was the Vesna winner. So, um, you know, he did probably the right thing. What he had to do, go play hockey once that trade was made. But uh, you'd just like to see better scenery for Marc-Andre Fleury. And you mentioned the off-ice issues that the Blackhawks are dealing with. Gosh, if you haven't read that report, please take the time to do so because it is appalling. <laughs> it's absolutely appalling what went on in the Blackhawks organization. And I'm wondering about Joel Quinville. What's his future going to be like? Yeah, so he had the meeting with Gary Bettman last week and afterwards it was decided uh, by the league and in conjunction with the Florida Panthers that he would step down basically you know a firing you know he couldn't continue in his role there but uh, they allowed him to announce his resignation and the word now is that if he wants back in the league he's going to have to have another meeting with Gary Bettman I would think that you know Joel still being relatively young and where he's at in terms of uh, the coaching ranks you know second all-time wins and his hunger for the game you know he didn't want that to be his last game the other night so I'm sure he's going to want to try to get back into the game it's just a win and also what does the league have to say about it? So Jeremy Rutherford is hanging out with us earlier in the show. We, at 7.30, did an AJA and asked Jeremy other thing, a lot, anything. A lot of people had burning blues questions for JR. And we want to get some more in right now because there were so many good ones that we left on the table. So how about this one from the 314 JR? The blues have said that their beef with Kadri is going to be an ongoing thing. My question for JR is which blue do we think fights him next? <laughs> how about that? You know what? I, I feel bad in hindsight that I wasn't ready for that Shen fight uh, on opening night. Like You could probably see it coming, and yeah. Braden's that type of guy, so probably could have tweeted 10 minutes before the game, hey, watch this happen. After it happened, I think all of us watching went, oh, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> so the old, uh, you know, shame on me situation, uh, Justin Falk is on the ice with him at the beginning of this game, 
you know, could you see that one coming? Did you really think Justin Falk was going to drop the gloves with him? But like Craig Bruby said, and what's he, seventh all-time in, in penalty minutes in the league, so he's had situations like this before. He said, look, Falk wanted to handle his own business. Somebody said, why didn't Falk fight him the first time in Braden, uh, instead of Braden Shen? And my response to that was, Shen probably didn't give him a choice. <laughs> it's like, look, I'm going to do this. So, you know, will there be another Kadri fight? There could. He was asked that, Kadri was, after the game, is this over? I mean, you think he goes, gosh, evidently not. <laughs> Uh, so who will it be? I don't know. Big boy Robert Bortuzzo next time, mm-hmm. maybe. I I look forward to seeing who it is because I like that there's some bad blood and yeah. that the Blues aren't letting it go. I, I probably think that it's over in terms of guys, you know, dropping gloves at the beginning of the game with them. But I don't know that I've seen something stretch out this long before where you're talking about a potential have to fight third three times. Yeah. Well, speaking of that from the 314, ask Jeremy anything. What do you make of the Blues only playing Colorado three times this year? Yeah, disappointing. You know, division, uh, you say rivals. I, I do think there's some bad blood between these two teams now, especially with that cadre situation. Um, you know, in the NHL schedule, it is what it is. There's always been some quirks in it. You know, I wasn't a big fan of playing division teams eight times, but, yeah. you know, I don't mind four and five. You know, maybe play your central division teams five, play your Western Conference teams uh, three, something like that. So disappointing just to see the three meetings. And it's not for a while. Was it April before the Blues will see him again? Yeah. It's towards the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, it's a long time. From the 314, JR, do you see the Blues trading Tarasenko at the end of the season and getting someone equivalent to him in return? Here's the thing. They might get somebody who can help him, Michelle, and, and whether it's next month or, you know, in the offseason. You know, I do think they'll probably get somebody who can step into the lineup. But I don't think you can get the equivalent of a Vladimir Tarasenko, the one we're seeing here right now. Now, could I have said that a month ago when I didn't know if he was completely healthy and I didn't know that he was going to come out and, and play the way he has? Probably not. But now mm-hmm. that we see who he is, I don't think with the, the the situation with the potential still there for a shoulder injury, like if you're a team and you give up something for him and then three games later he injures his shoulder, you know, how do you look? You know, taking a chance on a guy like that at $7.5 million. So to me, it's one of those things where it's like a good used car, Michelle, where <laughs> yeah. like it means more to you than it could for anybody else in terms of compensating you for it. So to me, if he's going to play like this, I think Doug Armstrong's going to have a very difficult decision on his hand as to when the right time is to trade Vladimir Tarasenko. I, want, I wonder if teams might be kicking themselves a little bit that they weren't more aggressive in pursu- pursuing him when the asking price may have been lower. Because now that he's playing well, I imagine that Doug Armstrong's stance is even firmer and not wanting to give up Vladdy for what he deems to be the appropriate asking price, including not paying any of his salary. Yeah, and I know a lot of people have said, you know, get him for nothing months ago and now look at him. So teams missed out. I guess that's kind of true. You look at Seattle, they could have drafted him in the yeah. expansion draft, but it's it's still 7.5 on the cap. And at the time, you didn't know how he was going to be. You know, is he going to produce? Is he going to be able to still stay healthy? You know, that's kind of still the question. But, you know, in terms of like, getting him off the scrap heap, you know, Doug Armstrong was never going to trade him for the scrap heap price. Mm-hmm. So you weren't going to be able to get him for that. So it's not like there should be 10 teams around the league kicking themselves. They were never going to get him for that price. Even the way he's playing right now, 
and he's very motivated to continue to play this way. If I was another team based on the injury history, I'd still be a little nervous. I'd still be a little hesitant to go out there and meet the asking price for someone like Vladimir Tarasenko, even though he's proving that he's still got vintage Vladdy in him and that he can still take over a game and be a difference maker. But with that injury history, I would still be a little reluctant if I was a, a team that was looking to acquire Vladdy. Yeah, I agree with you. And obviously the other teams have looked at the medical history, but I will say this, you know, in writing stories about this and talking to many, many doctors and putting together these stories, including the doctor who performed the third surgery, it was a Latterjee surgery. That's a stabilizing surgery. It's It's been highly successful. Now, this is a collision sport, so kind of all bets are off when you're talking about crashing into players and crashing into the boards. But compared to the first two surgeries that he had, it's just a much different surgery. So whether they were done correctly or not done correctly, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But I do know that the third surgery that he has, that's the stabilizing one. That's the one that should be able to hold it together. That You know, this should not be a recurring situation. But look, these other teams have access to the medical records and, you know, they shied away. So they're obviously saying something that they may not like. Two more questions for Ask Jeremy during Ask Jeremy Anything, our AJA segment here uh, from the 618JR. Which offensive player in Springfield will be the next to make a splash? Well, it might not be uh, a forward. I know you say offensive player, so offensive you think uh, forward. Uh, but I think we're looking at a defenseman, Scott Perinovich. Uh, we all know had a great training camp with the Blues. Sent down because they wanted to give him a chance to play. Got off to a great start. American Hockey League Player of the Week. Nine game points in his first five games. I think he's nicked up right now with a lower body injury. So out of the lineup, but I don't think it's serious. Uh, so I don't know that we'll see him soon. But this is a guy who, if it trans translates at the NHL level, you know, can be a point guy. You know, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. 50, 60 points as a defenseman, but a guy who can contribute offensively. Finally, from the 314, Jeremy, do you think Jordan Bennington's antics may affect his place with the Canadian Olympic team? That's a question that I was asking the other day. And listen, Doug Armstrong is the guy making these decisions and he has a staff. So it's not just uh, him making the call here. But, you know, it's a reputation that he's carrying around now, Jordan Bennington. Mm -hmm. And does Team Canada... You know, want that on their roster? You know, look, I think that they want a solid goaltender. And if Jordan Bennington's one of the top three, I think he's going to be on there. But I think, you know, the Blues probably had a talk with Jordan Bennington this week and said, you know, pick your pick your spots. And, you know, are they going to put him on the on the roster and say, uh, you know, he's up for debate because of some of this some of these scrums that we've seen. I don't think that would have a dramatic impact on whether they take him or not. Great stuff from Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider at The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. I'm Michelle Smallman, and coming up next, it's your Killing Me Smalls, so keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Jeremy Rutherford and Michelle Smallman with you here on 101 ESPN. In case you didn't hear it earlier, a pretty important injury report coming from Adam Schefter. Uh, Tennessee Titans running back Derrick Henry suffered a potentially season-ending foot injury yesterday during the Titans 34-31 win over the Colts. He's undergoing an MRI today to determine the full extent of the damage, but... 
Adam Schefter saying that the Titans are concerned that Derrick Henry has a Jones fracture, which would require season-ending surgery. Right now, Derrick Henry is the NFL's leading rusher with 937 yards. He has 353 more yards than any other player in the league, and he also has a league-high 10 rushing touchdowns. So obviously, a massive bit of news coming out of the NFL, and the Titans are holding their breath to, to get that MRI result today. JR. Yeah, Michelle, and not just bad for the Tennessee Titans, but bad for football. What a fun player to watch. And yeah. as you mentioned, leads the NFL in rushing. So uh, t- tough news for the league. For sure. You're killing me, Small. So yesterday was Halloween. JR, did you dress up? I did. I did. Uh, I might have mentioned earlier that uh, I was a fireman last night. And let me tell you, um, that gear is heavy. I got. <laughs> I already had all the respect in the world for firemen, but I was told that the, uh, the helmet is 11 pounds. So... I don't feel it yet, but maybe a little kink in my neck coming <laughs> later on. Uh, but the other thing is to do what they do to begin with is unbelievable. But to do it with whatever, you know, somebody could text in and tell us how much that equipment weighs is amazing. Yeah. To think that you're going to run into a burning building and put yourself in danger to save others and to put out fires. And you're doing so wearing equipment that is so heavy, including 11 pounds on your head. We don't give fire- <laughs> firefighters enough love. That's unbelievable. But have you ever had a costume that you really had? to dedicate yourself to, whether it was planning it months in advance or going out and getting different pieces for your costume. Have you ever really had to de- dedicate yourself for a costume? I did, and I'll give you the short version. I was a uh, bottle of cologne one year, I think like a <laughs> Ralph Lauren. And so I had this like uh, washer or dryer box around my body. You had to find the box that big, right? And uh, you cut a hole in the top, and then I had like a spray bottle coming out of the top of it. So a little maybe creative, but yeah, it took a while to put that thing together. That's really impressive. Yeah. I love that. What do you got? Well, Aaron Rodgers has his hair longer now, and he was asked about it earlier this season, and he said, I'm growing my hair out for my Halloween costume. I'm really dedicating myself to my Halloween costume. So with Halloween being yesterday, we finally figured out why Aaron Rodgers was growing out his hair, and it turns out that for Halloween this year, he was John Wick. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. I have not. But he does look like John Wick. As I'm looking at these photos, he he posted on Instagram a picture of him kind of cradling his, his dog's head in his hands, staring at him. And um, it looks really good. He looks like John Wick. So kudos to Aaron Rodgers for the commitment. Yeah, I just wish I had the hair to think about doing something <laughs> with. Yeah, that's true. I guess it is kind of a luxury if yeah. you have such a flowing mane of hair that you can grow it out for a Halloween costume. Yeah, I was giving him trouble off the air to Michelle saying that, uh, man, I just can't get into the man bun. But I guess if I did have that flow, I'd probably try to pull it off. I could see you with a man bun. <laughs> I don't know if you you have the flow, but you could do it. I could totally see it. You're, it's all about how you exude yourself, yeah. right? You make the hair. The hair doesn't make you. You know, I wear a hat all the time, and I didn't the other day. And somebody said, I can't believe, uh, uh, you know, you're cutting your hair so short. It's wintertime. Usually people do longer hair. I said, no, I'm not doing this. God's doing this. <laughs> this is God's choice. Yeah. Yes, Emily. Um, so I looked up the firefighters' weight of their equipment. Oh, thank you. Um, real quick, it is the total weight of a firefighter's PPE depends on the tools needed for the job, but basically... PPE, so a helmet, hood, pants, coat, gloves, boots, and air pack. 45 pounds. 45 pounds. Ooh, that's so, before like an, like an axe or a radio, any of those things. So basically it was like going out after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was last night for me. Oh, wait, oh, it's 45 like, pounds. It's like a weighted vest or yeah. a heavy Saturday Yeah, dinner. that's how I feel after <laughs> Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> Much love to the firefighters out there, though. All right, here's some other 
Halloween costumes in the NFL. Miles Garrett went as the Grim Reaper, and on the back of his cape, he had a list of every quarterback that he sacked. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> which was pretty good. And Miles Garrett, I don't know if you had seen this, but this made the rounds on social media. He decorated his home for Halloween and put headstones in his front yard of quarterbacks oh that he has sacked. Oh, my goodness. So really just rubbing in his yeah, talent there. Yeah, that's great. All right, what do you think of this one? Josh Allen went as Phil Mickelson. I could see that. Yeah. And Phil Mickelson quote tweeting the Buffalo Bills picture of Josh Allen arriving. And Phil Mickelson says, I find this new version of Josh Allen so seductive. And yet I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it is. Go Bills. <laughs> but a golfer is always an easy costume, right? Yeah. Yeah. Easy. And that's a fun character to do. Phil Mickelson. You probably could guess that he was going to play along with that. For sure. Um, let's see. Mike Davis went as a Squid Games guard. Have no. you seen Squid Games? I haven't either, but apparently it's all the rage right now. And then Odell Beckham Jr. went as Michael Jackson with the full thriller costume on. Yeah. So I don't know if any of those are particularly interesting to you, but that's what was going on in the NFL yesterday. Now he'll come out wearing the glitter glove. Yeah, for sure. Maybe he'll get more more catches (laughs) yesterday. I think just one, right? Right. You're killing me, Smalls. Speaking of the NFL, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but with a lot of quarterback needy teams out there, uh, a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson as tomorrow's NFL trade deadline looms. But the Houston Texans are reportedly prepared to keep Deshaun through the trade deadline and deal him in the offseason if that's going to be best for them. Many in the Texans organization, JR, want to turn the page and move on from Deshaun Watson as soon as possible. But Houston is allegedly ready to reopen trade discussions in the offseason if they can't get exactly what they want from him right now. The Dolphins and the Texans had had various trade discussions throughout the season. Miami apparently getting to the point where they wanted to be from a compensation standpoint with the Texans, but they prefer that Watson's legal issues be resolved before making a deal. And those legal issues, by the way, 22 lawsuits alleging sexual harassment and inappropriate conduct, 10 criminal complaints, although no charges have been filed. And Deshaun doesn't want to do that because that would be an admission of guilt. So it seems like the Texans might be stuck having Deshaun on their uh, the the Deshaun situation looming until next season. Yeah, just such an ugly situation there. Um, and I know it's completely different than the Vladimir Tarasenko situation, apples and oranges, but it's common in one respect. The team, the general manager are going to wait until the deal makes sense and they're just going to live with any potential distraction. Obviously, there hasn't been one in St. Louis. You know, I, I don't pay too much attention to the Texans. Obviously, it's in the news mm-hmm. every week, but it, it seems like, you know, they're okay with living with that distraction if it means at the end of the road, they get the best deal possible. And if that's tomorrow or if that's uh, in the offseason, then so be it. Uh, Yes. If I'm the Texans, though, I think you're in such a precarious position because, of course, you want to maximize your return. You want to put yourself in a position to field the best team possible. And this is a major asset from a talent standpoint that you could leverage to improve your football team. But if I'm in that driver's seat, if I'm Nick Casario, I I, want to get rid of this situation. I want to move on from Deshaun Watson and and. Imagine hanging on to him until the offseason and you have a deal that can be made and it doesn't get done. And obviously a lot depends on Deshaun and whether he wants to resolve these legal issues, because that seems to be a pretty big caveat for a lot of teams, including the Dolphins. But if you could get something for him now, what if more comes out? What if as this situation develops, he becomes toxic and radioactive and no team wants to bring Deshaun Watson in to be their quarterback and you were in a position where you could have done something about it? That's the only 
thing that I keep go- coming back to is that this situation could still be unresolved and it still could potentially get worse before it gets better. So wouldn't you like to get something back for him? Yeah, definitely could be the case. The question I have kind of piggybacking on that is even if you wait until the off season, how much more are you actually getting by waiting that extra, whatever, two or three, four months? I mean, let's just look at it from a draft pick compensation because it's kind of hard to compare established players. So let's hypothetically say that, you know, you could get a, and we're just making an example here. Let's say you could get a third round pick for him right now. But if you wait to the off season, you can get a second round pick. Yeah, I guess, you know, second, third, obviously a big difference there, but is it going to be worth hanging on to him and having that storyline just continue into the off season? You know, I, I don't know. And so whether it be that situation or others, I just always ask the question, like, is it really worth it? What more are you going to get? And I think that's why I, I touched on earlier, mm-hmm. you know, Doug Armstrong has held on in the Tarasenko situation. And I think if he comes away at the end of this with a better deal than he would have got last summer, then it was worth it. That's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next, we're going to talk to former NHL goalie. He's also an analyst at Daily Faceoff. Mike McKenna, he stepped in yesterday for the for the Blues at practice. Billy Huso out for the Blues because of COVID protocols. Mike McKenna stepping in and practicing with the team yesterday. We're going to talk to him about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle Smallman and Jeremy Rutherford with you here on 101 ESPN. Let's head right now to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and welcome in Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie. He's also an NHL analyst at Daily Faceoff. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Mike McKenna 56. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking the time to join us. How are you? Well, now that I'm on the celebrity line, I'm unbelievable. Thank yes, you. you. Uh, that doesn't that's not a word associated with me. So very much appreciated. Good morning to everybody. Uh, we got kids out the door after Halloween last night. They're at school, so I consider it a great success, and I hope that you both had the same type of evening. Well, thank you, Mike. And I saw you tweet yesterday that you dressed up as a goalie for Halloween. <laughs> and for people okay. that, that haven't seen it, Billy Huso is placed on the COVID list. He's out for the Blues. And with Huso out, Mike McKenna, our, dress, our guest, actually practiced with the Blues yesterday. So, Mike, tell us about that. When did you get the call, and how quickly did you have to get to the rink? It's a pretty wild story. I got to Centene uh, maybe like 10.15 yesterday morning because my daughter was set to play at 10.35 in the last game of a tournament. And I coached the team. It's AU Hockey at Kirkwood. And Dave Alexander from the Blues, who obviously their goalie coach, um, we've known each other since I was in Syracuse years ago. He was my goalie coach there and texted me, hey, can you practice at 11? <laughs> More or less. <laughs> And, uh, and I was like, man, I literally just got here, but I don't have my equipment with me. And I was like, this is, this is because I'll do anything to play again. I haven't played goalie in a year and a half and I'm just, I'm missing it. I, I miss being on the ice with NHL players and practices. And I, I had told him earlier, like, if you need somebody this year, by all means, let me know. You know, I, I'm, I stream Tuesday and Thursdays with daily face off. I probably can't do those days, but anything else is fine. So I'm scrambling. I'm trying to figure out how to get my equipment. I got the okay from my team that I could go practice with the blues. And then my, my kids, the team, they came and watched me at the end of it. But my, basically the long story short is my dad went home and got all my equipment. He was already coming to watch my daughter play. So he went to my house, got all my equipment, tossed it in the back of the minivan, drove it up to Centene, (laughs) 
got the gear at probably like 10:52, and thankfully that the blues were willing to delay practice a little bit so that I could get ready. Um, but yeah, tossed on the gear and you know, had the blast, had a blast, man. Like I just <laughs> missed it. Like I actually like saved a couple pucks and I didn't hurt myself. And, uh, it was a pretty good Halloween treat. So, yeah, I got to be a goalie for Halloween. Yeah, and Mike, when you said your dad went and grabbed your gear, uh, Terry McKenna, uh, the famous name in St. Louis in terms of uh, amateur hockey, uh, he picked up the gear and brought it to you. And tell us what the gear was. It's a potpourri of uh, pads and helmets and, and designs there. What were you wearing yesterday? <laughs> well, you know, I, I was wearing my old blues mask. When I played in the blues organization in 2012-13, I played only for the Peoria Rivermen that year. It was also the lockout, one of the lockout years. So uh, I was there and, and kind of under the radar. You know, I'd been in the blues organization, and people may not remember me at this point, but it was for a season. So I had that mask on the shelf. I told Dad, hey, just grab the blues mask. I think that'd be appropriate for today. <laughs> so toss that one on. Um and the gear that I had in the garage was Vegas Golden Knights gear that Bauer had made for me. The company Bauer designed a set because I was practicing with the Golden Knights when I worked there the past two years as a broadcaster. Now, not during COVID protocol. Um, the past season, nobody was allowed around the team in those types of scenarios. That's why they had taxi squads, uh, so they'd have goalies available. But now that we're not as regimented, as, as tight against it as we've been, it can happen again. So... I had this gear that's all Vegas colors and tossed it on. Uh, and, you know, I've got a whole bunch of them, JR. Like, I'm going to go play in an alumni tournament or alumni game for the Flyers in a couple weeks in Philly. And I've got a set of Philly gear for that. So, <laughs> as much of a suitcase as I was, I, I do have a really nice collection of equipment. And, yeah, it's kind of a kaleidoscope right now. So, maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, I can get Bauer to sling me a set of blues colored stuff so I can look the part if I ever do this again. There you go. Mike, you, you mentioned that you stopped a couple pucks. You didn't injure yourself, which was great. But tell us how you did in practice. Tell us what the flow was like and what happened and how you did. Well, the first drill that we do is two versus two in the neutral zone with the goals at the blue lines. And this is chaos. Like for a goaltender, this is the drill that you dread even when you're actively playing much less as a retired guy that's 38 and hasn't done this in a while. <laughs> and I looked up and I looked at Dave Alexander, the goalie coach, and I went, really? This is what I get right out of the gate? <laughs> and of course, I think I think it was Robert Thomas. First shot goes in, short side, I'm not square, right by my hip. I'm mad about it. Uh, and then second shot, it goes Perron to Neil to Perron, laterally twice, across, over, back, and I got over, I made a like, sick save on it, and I just went, man, I can still do this. I still got it. And, uh, you know, of course some pucks went in after that, that like you're tracking, if you take time off, your tracking isn't the same. Your movements aren't the same. I, I can't skate as well or as fast, especially laterally as I used to. Um, but man, like the mechanics of it don't go away, you know, and it was kind of, it was really rewarding. Like at the end, like, you know, I hadn't seen Bennington in a while. He's like, Hey, you still got it, man. Good job. And I was like, that's cool. I'll take that validation. I, it's appreciated. Uh, Cause it, you know, you just, when you do it long enough, when it's your profession, you, you don't want to walk out of there thinking, 
oh, I suck at this. That wasn't fun. I, I, I had a blast yesterday. It was great. Yeah, Michelle, I was at the practice. They they had a three-on-three mm-hmm. kind of scrimmage in the neutral zone, so it's short ice, and Mike's in net, and uh, you know later on they, they kept the scrimmage going. Craig Berube was asked about Mike McKenna, and he said, yeah, he looked, he looked good, and then uh, he was the winner. Not only did you go up against Jordan Bennington, Mike, yesterday you won the scrimmage against <laughs> Jordan Bennington. Yeah. So can, can that go in your win column? <laughs> uh, probably a moral win. Uh <laughs> I, I think I faced half as many shots as, as Benner did, so uh, I, I think the quality maybe wasn't as great against me. But I guess so. Like it's funny. Like I was talking to a friend of mine that's I'm talking to you know he's a current goaltender in the NHL. He's asking me how it went, how my body felt, and he's like, I don't think I've ever won a three on three game at the end of practice. He's <laughs> like, this guy's like 20 years into an NHL career. So yeah, you know it was it was fun and. Um, I mean, more than anything, I, I really just was happy that they had a goalie and gave him a good target. You know, I, I, you hate to have a team down a man and they don't, they're not able to have a proper practice. So when I, when I got the call and I knew they were in desperation mode, it's like, man, I got to get the gear here. I got to help the guys out. So um, as much as it was fun for me selfishly, it also was, I knew it was good for, for the Blues. They needed somebody and I was happy to help them. Mike, you mentioned your 8U team, including your daughter, got to come and watch it. I know you have young kids and, and she's a goalie, in fact, your, your daughter. Uh, they probably haven't been able to watch many, if any, NHL games that you played in. What was it like? What they say afterwards, especially your daughter, about watching you play with the Blues? They were so excited. I mean, my, my daughter, Kenlin's eight years old. And she does remember me playing. So when I finished my career, she was uh, five turning six that year. So she has memories of it, but not a lot. And it's just special. You know, you, her entire team walks over from playing at the barn and Centine outside. They get undressed. They come over to the NHL rink to watch the Blues practice. And there's their coach on the ice. You know, and I, and I think my daughter felt kind of like a little bit of a celebrity herself just because of that. And, you know, it's let's not read too much into this. I just hopped on the ice and practice for a bit, but it was a window back into my past life. And that that was a big reason why I kept playing. Um, My last year pro was frankly, just for my kids. I wanted my kids to remember me as a professional hockey player, have memories of seeing me in the net. I was super lucky to have that. Um, But these little glimpses that kind of look back to do it again, are just, they're cool. They're special, you know? And, And I was, I was really glad that they asked me to do it. Mike McKenna joining us here on 101 ESPN, former NHL goalie and NHL analyst at Daily Faceoff. And Mike, you you mentioned your time in Vegas, and I wanted to ask you about Mark Andre Fleury because Jr. and I had been talking about him earlier. Uh, you know his his game versus the Blackhawks this weekend. It doesn't really matter how well he plays. Sometimes with the team around you, the winless Blackhawks right now, he's in a pretty tough position. And you know to to be a guy that goes from winning a Vesna Trophy to having quotes where you say you're embarrassed by an awful October, that has to be a really tough position for someone like him to be in it sucks there's no other way to say it and it's not just that he's on a bad team it's the fact that he got thrown away by the go vegas golden knights there's no other way to describe that you win a vezina trophy you shouldn't be thrown to another team for nothing like that just doesn't happen normally in this in the hockey world and and that's i think you know when you're looking at that scenario and thinking do I really want to do this? If you're Marc-Andre Fleury, like remember when he was traded, there wasn't a guarantee that he was going to play. There was a thought process that he might actually retire. And he's so family driven. I think that's the biggest reason why he just wanted his family to be happy and be in a good place. And that's what he thought about Vegas. And 
make the conscious decision to go to Chicago thinking, okay, they've acquired Seth Jones, Jonathan Taze is coming back in the lineup, I'm going to be there. It can't be any worse than it was for them last year. And there's probably the memory of playing in the bubble against the Blackhawks where they were competitive. And, you know, Duncan Keith was still there. And, well, that team's awful this year. I, I don't know if I've seen a worse five-on-five team in, in how long. I don't know. Ironically, their special teams are actually decent. Their power play and kill is serviceable. Five-on-five, they're trash. And Marc-Andre Fleury's just seeing the heap of it. He, he can't – you know, he, he, you guys saw what he did – against the Blues the other night, I think 35 for 36 or 36 for 37. He's breakdancing in the net trying to make saves because the puck's going laterally nonstop across the crease. It's just not a winning position, and you wonder where it's going to be for him by a trade deadline. You know, like, do you want to finish out with Chicago this year? Do you want to go somewhere else? I feel for him because uh, I really don't see any solutions in Chicago right now. All right, Mike, we'll wrap up with this. Usually we talk to an analyst or, you know, a former hockey player and ask him their opinion of anything to do with the Blues. Who's going to have a breakout year? Who's playing well? But they've never been on the ice with the team. You've been on the ice. So give us, uh, give us a tip. Give us uh, your thoughts on somebody with the blues that you watched yesterday hey watch out for this guy or, or pay attention to this well i think most people are probably aware of him already uh and i know i have been as well but man i could not stop jordan Cairo yesterday like he just lit me up and we're t- like above the pad glove side blocker side he just shredded me and you know usually players are coming in looking to shoot top dog put it off the crossbar and down and no, I think he's pretty heady. You know, he comes in, he sees where my gloves and my hands are positioned, his head's up, he picks his spot, and he's able to hit it. Um, I found that the puck was on his blade an awful lot. And I'm not saying anything that people don't know. Obviously, last season he's got 35 points in 55 games. But look at him this year, 9-7, and seven, like this is real. And I think that's kind of my point is that there's sustainability to his game because you can see that he processes things at a high level. It's not just – Get a puck on your stick, drive the net. Like his head's up, he's he's seeing what's available. Um, I was just really impressed with him. You know, you can see it from the stands, but man, when you're on the ice and you see the pucks just blowing past you nonstop, it catches your eye. So um, I, I think I think Kairou is. I don't know if he's going to stay at a point a game this year, but man, I, I would fully expect him to be in the 60, 70 point range by the end of the season. Wow. Well, you got company with the goalies who are having trouble with them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm not alone. <laughs> Mike McKenna, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Mike McKenna 56. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We had a great time chatting with you. Oh, I appreciate it. You know, it's great to feel like a celebrity once again, like you both said. <laughs> You're always a celebrity in our book, Mike. <laughs> Have a good one. Thank you. you too, uh, take care. That's Mike McKenna, former, former NHL goalie and NHL analyst at the Daily Face. I'm Jeremy Rutherford and Michelle Smallman here with you. Coming up next, we're going to cross it over with Danny Mack. Keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Kerrigan Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman and Jeremy Rutherford are with you all morning. And Danny Mack has just entered the studio. Dan McLaughlin here as we get you set for the Danny Mack Show with BK. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Good to see you, Michelle. 
Back in studio, huh? Back in. <laughs> Back in, ready to roll. How was New York? It was great. I was telling JR, though, um, it was quite the culture shock for me when people say, we're going to a party, doors open at 10. And I'm like, I'm usually in bed, bed by, by 10. 10. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's when I'm shutting it down. Yeah, dinner at 8.30. Well, I'm sorry, what? Is that a post-dinner <laughs> snack? Because I've already eaten dinner three hours earlier. <laughs> I'm like uh, blue light special action, man. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't really do that anymore. Our oldest gets uh, really mad because we eat uh, fairly early. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, we ever going to have a family dinner again? And she said, we don't do that here. <laughs> we haven't had one since uh, probably the last major holiday. Maybe well, you, Christmas or something, Easter. You have a lot of moving parts, though, Dan. We did. So we were moving last night. We were moving all over the place yeah. with Halloween. A lot of fun. It's, it's tough to have a family dinner these days, isn't it? I, I think it is. I mean, if you have kids that are... You know, involved in whatever, you know, like sports or playing a musical instrument, art, whatever. I mean, it's just constant, you know. Whatever happened to just if you were a, a kid that likes sports, you just rolled out the ball in the backyard and said, go get them. N- not a chance. And I was no, talking about no this. Chance. I was talking about this the other day. I think my mom paid like $50 for the entire season to play right. ball CYC at like or something. Corey League. It right. might cost $40 just for a one-night lesson. Right. No. No, it's expensive and... Uh, everybody's all in because, you know, everybody is going to be playing in the major leagues. You will make it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. There's no question about that. Dan, what did you dress up as for Halloween? I did not. Uh, I guess unless it's a chauffeur. Um, <laughs> I, I was in my standard sweatpants, black tennis shoes, uh, my cardinal hoodie, and a hat. Nice. Yeah. It was just rolling out. I want to see you go as Hungo one year. No. <laughs> well, I keep, first of all, I couldn't. I couldn't get the the facial hair. I couldn't grow it. You know, I'm still going through the changes of life, JR. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to commit to that, how long do you think it would take a year to grow it out more? To be as like as full as his? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'd say six months. I, it's six months. Wow. It would take a long time. Yeah, Hungo's got a lot of growth. You know, Hungo's gone through stages, too. Like, does he want the Fu Manchu? Does he go beard? <laughs> I've never seen him with just the straight stash. But I think that would be a cool look. But I, seeing Hungo without the uh, the Fu Manchu just doesn't work for me. He's got to have the Fu Manchu. It's part of his identity. It is. He's the best, man. For sure. Love him. Well, uh, Dan, did you get a chance to watch the World Series last I night? I did. That was a... I, I don't know about you guys. It's like staying up for Halloween every night watching these games because they're taking forever. Yeah. I mean, they are taking a long time. They I, are. I, you know, I said to Randy the other day, I said, what do you think the productivity is... And I would assume it's the same for like Jr. for you guys in hockey with the cup run, the the productivity of that month long or whatever it was six weeks of fans, you know wherever they work, staying up late at night watching these games. And I was thinking about the Atlanta Brave kids last night. You had the the fans, the kids. You got Halloween. You come home and it's only the fourth inning, and then you stay up all night and watch that, and you're loaded up with candy. I mean, those games don't get over till. You know, midnight, 1230 East Coast time, one o'clock in mm-hmm. some instances, just long games. Now, they're entertaining games. I'm, I'm enjoying that. Um, and I still think Atlanta is in a better position because of their pitching going into game six and seven. However, you would have to be a little concerned, I would imagine, being up for nothing. That place is rocking. They hit the grand slam and you're thinking, OK, they're going to they're going to roll this thing out and win it at home. And they didn't do it. So, you know, it's 
momentum is the next day starter in baseball always. But I did think that that was um, a gut punch for the Atlanta Braves to be up four nothing. It wasn't like it was one up four nothing. Place rocking early, and you didn't close it out. But they're they're in a better spot pitching wise going into games six and seven for sure. And conversely, what a shot in the arm for the Houston Astros. You're going yeah. home. You you withstand a grand slam in the first inning where you think that that might be the nail in, the final nail in your coffin, and all the numbers say it's going to be, and you yeah. find a way to rally back and bring it back home. Did you guys see something like 45 and 3 or 4 now, 5, mm-hmm. something like that, when you jump up to that kind of lead in a, winner, in a clinching game that early and didn't win it? Um, I'll be interested, though, to what Dusty Baker does. So Urquidy came in and kind of was able to – he had just a quick inning, and the way that now pitchers are just being used in this postseason, do you – Use him for game six and force him again. And he's probably only going to go two or three innings anyway. Or do you say we're better off to give him just a little rest and then have him come back in game seven? I think that's something of of interest. But um, give him a lot of credit and give Bregman credit. That was a big hit. He'd been struggling. They moved him down the lineup. He gets a a key hit and a run batted in. And it kind of just seemed to kind of relax everybody a little bit for Houston. And they've been there and done it, too. That's the other thing. I mean, they've been in so many postseason games here in the last five years. So maybe they're they're kind of used to that, you know, back against the wall mentality type thing, which does happen. What do you have coming up on the show, Dan? Uh, great question. I know BK will be here. Okay, great. I know we'll continue the conversation about game five. <laughs> uh, and I know we have some kind of guest, and I can't remember who it is. And I, I come in. If JR, this is bad on no, me. No, this Michelle is good. Does, Michelle and Randy do a great job, and they. this is the whole reason we have the crossovers, to promote what's coming up next hour, and I didn't really promote it all that well. Yeah, but, you know, as an outsider who drives around listening to both shows, yeah. uh, it's my favorite part of the crossover when you say, great question. <laughs> I have no idea, um, and, and I don't know who our guest is. I would, it's not that I didn't do the research right. or not prepared. You know I'm going to be prepared, JR and Michelle, but I just can't quite remember. It was a long night. A lot, of, a lot of driving around kids. And it's always a good guess, so it's kind of a teaser. Like, yeah. because you don't tell them, now they're going to hang you on never and know. wait to see who it is. You never know. I'll be listening. I'm sure. I'll tell you that. I, I hope you guys are. <laughs> For sure. Don't lie about it. Well, that is Danny Can Mac. I ask JR something? Yes, please. Go ahead. Hey, what's going on? I know we got to wrap it up, Emily. What's going on with the COVID <laughs> thing in hockey? That's got to uh, be a concern, huh? Yeah, no. I mean, when you talk about... Not just the Blues, but everybody. Everybody, yeah. yeah. Four players in the entire league not vaccinated, but yet it seems like there's three on each team who have right. COVID. Yeah, it's it's an issue, and we had the soundbite earlier from Craig Bruby. He doesn't have an answer for it either. Yeah, interesting. Okay, all right, that's all I had. All right, well, we'll be thanks. listening, Dan. Okay, thank you. And Jeremy Rutherford, thanks so much for coming thanks, in this Michelle. morning, especially a quick turnaround with Halloween. We appreciate that. Thank you. Emily, butcher, great work out of you. Thank you so much. Thanks, you as well. And JR and I will be back tomorrow at 7 a.m., but the Danny Mac Show with BK is coming up next, so and keep it here. And special guests. And mystery guests. <laughs> keep it here on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. 
and Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.